Welcome to episode 41 of the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and boy, do we have a doozy of an episode for you today. We start off with In the 11, Out of the 18, then we go to the film room where we cover, yes, finally, Escape to Victory, the Sylvester Stallone Pele movie. You find me another soccer podcast doing this 1981 classic, you won't find one at least not recently. And then we hit on a number of topics from the World Cup, USA, uh, camp drama with Burhalter, and in FCC news, is Brandon Vasquez about to be sold? And are these new player rumors fake? Maybe. And that's going to be your episode 41. Joining me to talk about all of that, we've got the chief, we've got Grayson. Grayson, welcome back to the pod, my man. How how was the uh, the time away? Good to be here. Glad to hear the pod and realize I missed nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no you know, FOMO here. <laughs> you know, Seinfeld made a healthy living off doing a show about nothing. Somehow we're uh, still chasing... <laughs> We're still chasing that bag, unfortunately, using the same concept. You, uh, I mean, maybe it's in your 11 out of your 18. Don't, don't let me step all over your segments. But, you know, if you've got a good what if our best athletes played soccer take, you know, we're, we're all ears here. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was also funny, too, that like we did that segment last week. And we I don't know that we properly acknowledged how hokey that the whole concept is. So it, yes. listening back to it it very much sounded like we were having an earnest debate <laughs> about this concept that's about the hokiest thing you can write during the World Cup. I think it would yeah. be great to have that debate with maybe somebody who like works in the industry. Uh, like somebody who's a coach of FC Cincinnati. See how they... Man, it would have been a great topic to bring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? It would have been an even better topic to record. That conversation <laughs> would have been uh, me. I look, I don't want to rehash it, but I'm just trying to figure out why is soccer the only sport that gets this question asked of it? Are we not asking this question of our, our rugby teams, of our swimming teams, of our track and field teams? Come on. <laughs> you know, another, another unique thing about soccer is it's not afraid to celebrate a player like Messi who owes right. his success to HGH. <laughs> um, and I just feel like, you know, I think we've turned a corner. You know, now that um, it seems to be the uh, politically correct take that <clears throat> Messi is not just the best soccer player now, the best soccer player of all time, not just the greatest athlete in any sport in history, but also the greatest single achievement of humanity. Um, maybe we can kind of rehabilitate some people like Barry Bonds and, you know, maybe open up HGH to other athletes so that we can, you know, experience this greatness more and more. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, didn't we already do that with Peyton Manning, who definitely didn't take that HGH that was being prescribed to his wife? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Look, I've always been pro-steroid, like, Same. like Absolutely. anything. You can abuse something and then it's not good to abuse it. But like, if you want to ban steroids, I also want to ban stretching. Like if you've got something that makes you a better athlete, that makes you healthier and recover faster, 
why the fuck would you not be using it? So, yeah, so ban it, Tommy so is, John surgery. So is the what? reason why HGH didn't, you know, didn't get a glow up in the NFL is it when Peyton Manning was sort of found out about this. Is it because his direct competition, Tom Brady, hasn't been credibly accused of doing something he probably shouldn't have in Las Vegas? Uh, while ago, <laughs> if if Peyton Manning's uh, competition at the time was Deshaun Watson, I think yeah, uh, I think HGH, I think maybe HGH would have been, been uh, rehabilitated. <laughs> you really just need somebody to own it. Like I guess we got close to that with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but you just need to be like, yeah, man, like it works. Yeah, amazing. I also like, well, wish I was taller. <laughs> I would also like to be taller. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. So in my eleven steroids. Come on now. <laughs> yes. Let's go. Let's have this. I'm actually, I will I will jump in and I will start right there. Yes. I mean, look, how could you not? If steroids gives us Leo Messi and he is everything that, that we want to say that he is, why would you not want more of them? Why would you not want 100 Leo Messi's running around the world of soccer or whatever, you know, pick your sport? Like, steroid-era baseball was better baseball. Steroid-era NFL is awesome because that's right now. And uh, if you're denying that, you're, you're, you're living what? in a dreamland. What, you, um, you don't think people that weigh 320 pounds should be able to run sub 4540s? That doesn't happen naturally. Yeah, that's that's just a, a normal, natural human being. It's kind of incredible that the second these guys stop playing professionally, they uh, instantly return to looking like normal human beings. That's uh, just remarkable. Um, so, yeah, in my 11, I'm putting steroids. And uh, I just, hey, as a, it, we, we heard Das Harks riding hard for Ronaldo. I'll say Messi clinically diagnosed with a HGH uh, deficiency that was it was something credibly lacking from his from his development so, so, hey, so I, I gotta I, gotta defend him so I have a qu- I have a question if Please. MLS just decided we're going to be the steroid league that Ooh. when you come play in MLS we do not test for anything whatever you want to inject whatever you want to ingest whatever pharmaceutical regiment you want to be on we're going to allow it the only rule in MLS is that you just have to be good and have to be entertaining. Would that make MLS a more watched league worldwide or would it have the opposite effect and like everyone would gang up and make it a pariah league? Because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, I'm here for just wondering what it looks like <laughs> when every soccer player is not only on something, but openly talking in the media. Like I want to have the post-game interview where it's like Brandon Vasquez, you scored six goals and uh, completed a, a a cycle where you broke the legs of every person that attempted to outjump you. Um, what are you taking? Can you give us a list of your regiments so that we can all try to emulate that? <laughs> and we embrace the debate about pharmaceuticals as well. Not only just like uh, you know the Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, you know all that bullshit. So I think now's I think now's the time to do it. Yes, because yeah. I think. I think that the um, the like young woke cycle on it is currently pro steroid. Like if you go to like defector.com or some of the uh, uh, kind of, you know, liberal uh, sports followers, they are right now like more positive on professional wrestling. Yep. They are doing yeah. like uh, steroid apologia. 
Um, I think that uh, I think now's the time to try it because I think that it actually probably overlaps with the the demographic that is also most into soccer right now, and it oh, certainly will give oh, you a lot of coverage. Oh man, can you imagine if your average soccer player was on? steroids and hgh the amount of insane marketing crossover you could have with like aew or the wwe yeah like score the game-winning goal for fc cincinnati and then immediately you know take a car down to u.s bank arena and call out mjf or roman reigns in the middle of the ring for a cage match (laughs) later that night is there brandon vasquez would be a scary motherfucker in hell in a cell man is there really dude is there an openly pro steroid uh, wrestling company right now like i know like billy corgan has like the anti-woke uh wrestling yeah he's he company. owns N- now it's my wheelhouse yeah he owns nwa uh, yeah. he bought the the national wrestling alliance and tried a revival of that and it was actually doing pretty well prior to covid and then i don't think they've really come back quite as well uh they, they weren't really pro steroid as much as they were bringing back the era of the fat guy wrestling where like if you oh, watch the fat guy if you watch the old clips of pro wrestling from back in like the sixties, there were a lot of dudes who were just, they were big, but they were also what they called dirty bulk where it was a lot of Molson muscle on these fellas as they went and they, they slapped meat in the ring. I, I think we were talking about this in uh, the pride discord chief, but uh, a WWE wrestling style entertainment sports entertainment product that was soccer based, I think could slay a seven V seven league where you could have Ronaldinho still like a star player for a long time with good storylines and off the field drama and things like that. And soccer is a, as we've learned over the years, a very corruptible sport. If you need a particular outcome, it's not hard to get that outcome. And I think that's key for setting up certain storylines in a, in a uh, sports entertainment product. Is well, so if you're going to go as full sports entertainment with soccer, the first thing you need is you need the referee that's easily distractible yes. and that you can take out mid match, but the game still continues on. So like, I would love this where, you know, you're down a man, you're down bad. And you see, the play developing going the other way and you know it's an odd man break and instead of stopping the play you just take the ref out so there's no one to see that the goal gets scored and then when they score you immediately grab the ball and run it back out and the goalkeeper punts it down like nothing actually happened and everyone's going crazy and the ref's doing this i didn't see it i couldn't see what happens as he's like grabbing the back of his head kind of dazed and woozy there was no goal no instant replay i would love that It would work out so well. Ref goes to VAR, so he's like off the field, right? Straight fights can be happening while the ref is looking at a replay of something else. It would be lovely. Uh, Did you ever see that old SNL skit that was like the all-drug Olympics? (laughs) No. No, but it sounds incredible. (laughs) I'm not going to do the thing where I like describe a skit, but... I recommend that anybody just just Google that because it's 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 pretty funny. Because at the end of the day, wasn't that the problem with the XFL that when they started the XFL back in the early 2000s, that if they had a pro football league where after the quarterback throws a touchdown pass, they immediately hand him a house mic and he just goes off on whoever was playing defense or on the coach. 
or like I'm envisioning this idea of like back in the '90s. That was like, or the late early 2000s. That was the height of the shithead diva wide receiver, where you had yes. dudes like T.O., Randy Moss, Joe Horn, and everyone Chad Johnson to keep it local. Um, and everyone was trying to one up them on touchdown celebrations and touchdown dances. And the yes. XFL, if they just would have taken it one step forward and been just toss Chad Johnson a mic and here you have 30 seconds after you score a touchdown go off champ here here to refer to yourself in the third person and and talk some shit to the crowd get everybody hyped up but they went too legit with the football and they hired you know dipshits like john fossil to be head coaches where they actually wanted to coach a football team instead of getting you know like the undertaker where you know you (laughs) have him run the option a few times and then like do the whole sit up thing at halftime, give him the throat slash and you know, bury someone alive in a coffin for losing the game. That's what people wanted out of the XFL. I'm convinced this, this soccer, this soccer product could work um, to honestly answer your question there, chief though, MLS could do it in an abstract world where there'd be no repercussions. I think FIFA would be forced to uh, like sanction the league or whatever for not following some generic drug testing policy that I'm sure they've made everybody agree to. So, <laughs> don't uh, you you every so often? What's that group? WADA, the World Anti Doping Agency. Yes, just, yes. They, they suck. They get bought off by everyone. I'm assuming really that some bad at their jobs. I'm assuming someone could cut a check to make those losers go away. I just imagine the people that work at the World Anti Doping Agency. But I, I don't really believe the stereotype that you get shoved into a locker in high school. I don't think anyone gets shoved into lockers anymore or ever did. But if people did get shoved into lockers, it's the people who now test athletes for drugs <laughs> and get mad. It's like, he must be too good at his job. We need to check his piss. <laughs> yeah. I, those random screens always seem to get right. the uh, the key contributors every I just game. assume everyone is a Dungeons and Dragons nerd that works at the World <laughs> Anti-Doping Agency. Oh, out of my 18, why not? <laughs> um, ESPN uh, for... Ooh. It appears just bailing on soccer as a sport. They they gave it a good go, but they uh, they appear to be giving it up, uh, calling it quits uh, on Twitter. Any number of uh, soccer producers have been saying their goodbyes. Taylor Twelman saying goodbye. Uh, it would appear that they're going to ride out. I guess. La Liga and Bundesliga on uh, ESPN Plus, and whenever those contracts wrap, I think they're done. Uh, there was a point in time where ESPN was going to make a play for being like the soccer home in the United States. They built out an entire separate campus for ESPN FC that never materialized into anything. They made it a half-hour show that they kept around for a while, and then they've I think they've relegated that to online only or streaming only. And, uh, yeah, they got outbid for the World Cup. They got no bid for the 2026 World Cup, which is a whole bunch of shenanigans. And, uh, yeah, NBC's been eating their lunch on uh, Premier League coverage. There's nothing left. Um, so, yeah, our RIP ESPN soccer coverage. I don't know if you guys have, have seen that, but they are, uh, they're also officially out on broadcasting MLS matches. Fox is still in, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care about um, who's broadcasting soccer matches in the U.S. I would like to see growth <laughs> generally. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think anybody has really stood out and, and given me the feeling where I'm like, oh man, it's really going to suck losing this coverage or this yeah. voice from American soccer coverage. I mean, it sucks that like Alex Steck was apparently like a casualty of, of this stuff, but like, mm. I don't know, what's Taylor Twelman going to do? He's going to find his way back into it. Like they'll Apple hired, coverage or, or something. Or Apple, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I imagine all these guys are going to end up is Fox or Apple. It'll be the same. Like, it'll be fine and the same. They they just need to find a... And they haven't found it yet. They didn't find it with ESPN. They need to find a way to be a well-watched product. Period. Yeah. And so just keep keep trying stuff until you, until you hit it. The problem with ESPN was that for all they wanted to talk about covering soccer, it, you they had the ESPN FC show, and then there was nothing else at any part of ESPN's daily programming that, that referenced soccer. I saw the other day um, that one of my favorite shows when I was in college, Around the Horn, turned 20. It's been going on for 20 years. OGs, OGs remember Max Kellerman as the original host of Around the <laughs> yes. Horn and the disembodied voice. Um, yes. But Around the Horn sort of emblematic of that because what I loved about that show was that it was 30 minutes and watching that show for 30 minutes, you could pretty much get a rundown of what was going on in the sports world. Same thing with PTI afterwards. And so you'd watch those shows for an hour and you'd basically not have to watch the rest of ESPN because you heard just about everything that was going on. And those shows never talked MLS ever. No, the the the, the 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 presenters, the hosts, the writers that were on that show were ignorant about the league. They didn't watch it. That was very clear. And the the problem with ESPN and why their soccer coverage never took off is that there was never a reason for ESPN to stop talking about the National Football League. Um, yep. And when they weren't talking about the National Football League, they paid an ass load of money for the NBA rights, just a, a, a metric ton of money. And when they weren't talking about the NFL, it was the NBA. And that wasn't just during the season. That was, that became ESPN's business model became, we are going to talk about the NFL when the NFL isn't playing. And yeah. it, it's almost a joke now with the NBA as to how, oh, the NBA offseason is more entertaining than the NBA season. Well, no, it's not, but just that's what every talking head on ESPN keeps repeating. So the yes. public has been conditioned to this idea that, oh, well, we can have a daily show about the NBA just tracking who's following who on Instagram, who has made this comment, who was seen hanging out together. It, it's almost like watching Watch What Happens Live on Bravo, the way they cover yes. this shit. Yes. And since they never actually, MLS never and soccer never pollinated out of that silo of whatever show it was in or whatever time slot it was in. Yep. And, and that was to MLS's detriment because those other shows when the games aren't being played are what build the narrative and get people interested in watching that weekend's coverage. And if you're not seeing on around the horn, everyone talking about who do you got this weekend between galaxy and LAFC and talking about the players and what's going on, it, it was just, it was, ne they, they never, for all they claim to be in on soccer by buying up rights, they, they never did any effort whatsoever to try and show that they cared about the product other than, it just being inventory to fill the hours that they had to fill for programming. So something that's, that I found like kind of annoying recently um, is, uh, and this is not, this is not his fault. It's going to, 
well, the first thing I say, it's going to sound like I think it's his fault, but it's not. So, like, Tom Bogert's been tweeting about, like, MLS transactions during the World Cup. And um, people get in his comments, and they complain. They're like, don't you know that, like, Messi's playing right now? And then he'll apologize. He'll be like, I know Messi's playing right now, but I still have to do my job. Like, yeah. Fans of the Premier League are not complaining that Premier League journalists are covering transactions during the World Cup. People right. need to care. And it's like insane to me that people that follow Tom Bogart don't seem to care about the MLS independently of the World Cup right. or of its value to the U.S. national team. Like, the league needs to exist in its own right. It needs to exist like as a league that justifies itself that has its own following, its own good TV coverage, that is a product that networks want to carry, and that people care about even when, like, the World Cup is going on. Because, like, I know, like, I care about FC Cincinnati. Like, I want to see... I want to see signings. Yeah. I don't care the World yeah. Cup's going I'll, on. I'll go, one, I'll go one bigger than you. If they would have dealt Brandon... We'll get into this later, but if FC Cincinnati would have sold Brandon Vasquez this week... To me, that's more that's more interesting, and I care more about that than watching Messi play. I'm sorry, I don't yeah. give a fuck. Messi Same. doesn't play in America. He doesn't play for my team. It, he, the United States isn't playing him right now. It's interesting. I can respect his talent, but where my interest lies, my interest lies in my local club. And I, I know, don't apologize for reporting on this. And you know what the other thing is? We can all multitask as a society. I can still, yes. if I want to watch Messi play, if I'm looking down at my phone to see something else, that's on me. And I'm probably yeah. doing that because I want to follow other things while I'm watching this game. This idea that, oh, Messi's playing or this other thing's going on. MLS needs to go away. No, it, it, you, it can be part of the general conversation. And this idea that like it needs to be siloed away and it needs to ask for your attention when nothing else is going on it, is absurd. Yeah, I the perfect example of that is uh, the Ronaldo Manchester United news broke in the middle of uh, uh, I think it was decision matches or at the very least during the middle of a match like Manchester United doesn't give a shit about who's playing. It wasn't an England match. Maybe they would have moved it around to an English uh, team playing. But um, yeah, like they don't care. And nobody was in there like, oh my God, Australia's playing right now. Why are you tweeting this? Like, come on. It's just like, this exists in and of itself. And yeah, to that point, like, I really hope that... Fox and I, I think we'll touch on this more next week with uh or, or or more later with with how Fox has been covered with uh been covering the World Cup. But I just want somebody in the United States to take the sport seriously and to take MLS seriously and to not constantly try to cater to a casual audience. Just like take it seriously, treat it with respect, and people will respond to that. I think of like how FC Cincinnati started as a club, and FCC presented itself as a major league professional team, and people responded to it that way. If you drop FCC in Xavier's uh, soccer stadium, with seats like, what, 2,000 people, half of it in grass berms, like – it doesn't get treated the way it does at Nipper. It doesn't get treated as a, a professional product that way. You don't hire John Harks. You hire some, you know, up and coming college coach. Um, you don't get treated that way by the national media. You don't get treated with that respect. And I think 
Fox or or Apple or both would do well to just treat MLS as you would treat Major League Baseball, the NBA, the well, NFL. Just like the give perfect, it that respect. The perfect example of that is how NBC treats the Premier League from the yes. second that it bought the coverage package. And yes. the first experience most people had watching the Premier League on NBC, like if you saw, oh, NBC bought the rights, I'm going to check out the first week. It was a very, very well-produced studio show with people that were ex that were former players in the Premier League that were good broadcasters, had like the bombastic orchestra theme for the show, um, and it yep. treated the sport seriously. It was the exact same type of show you would expect to see covering the NFL. And yep. th there's no there's no way to, to, to recreate that first impression that people had of NBC's coverage. And the people that broadcasted the matches when they had local commentators, I, I won't say enough things, but good things about Arlo White. I mean, even though he, saw, he sold out to the Saudis with the live golf thing, <laughs> you know, he was fantastic. The people they hired with him, Graham Lasso, they were good broadcasters and they treated yep. it like it was an important deal. We are going to present this like it's a, a serious competitor for your attention with other sports. And part of the problem with, with MLS is that it was almost, it was born of the ESPN two era where yep. we, we don't want to be the, the serious sport. We want to be the cool sport that all the kids <laughs> like. And so yeah. the way the, the sport is discussed, even in the, the media with the league is it's very much a, Hey man, we don't wear ties around here. We follow MLS. It's okay. Like you, and no, it's it. When right. you do that, you're encouraging people not to take you seriously. And if, if there was one piece of advice I could give to Apple and Fox since ESPN's out of the running is the first thing that anyone sees from Apple should be an incredibly well-produced, incredibly slick studio show that talks about the league and the players seriously not more B-roll footage of the fans and just generalized talk about rivalries and cities. Yes. Talk about the players, talk about the tactics, talk about the matchup. These Premier League players weren't household names in America when NBC started covering soccer, but now because they talk about them, everyone knows who Mo, uh, Mo Salah is. Everyone in America knows who even people like Sadio Mane is. But not yep. just the stars, but the people that were the up and coming stars as the league started in its broadcast with NBC. Yeah, and I think I think there's a sweet spot. Like I think that I almost feel like coverage of MLS is like kind of opposite of the sweet spot, where they take it. Like if you listen to Extra Time or follow, they they treat the league like it's funny, right. like it's a joke. And then they talk about things the players do like they're children, like they're praising children, right? They'll show, like, Matt Doyle will um, share a sequence from a game and be breathless that a team strung five passes together. <laughs> right. Um, and act like, you know, oh, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. But yeah. I think what you can do is I think you can take the, I think you can take the league seriously like say this is these are professional adults competing to beat each other and we're going to cover the narratives of the teams competing with each other and trying to beat each other while also being realistic about the play on the field yeah yeah i i don't like 
it would be one thing if like you I don't know, like you had like NFL commentators or even like an NFL studio uh team just like cover college for a weekend and just be like this is total shit. Like none of these guys can block. None of these guys can pass. Why is the ball so big? Like, just like, just treat it like what it, for what it is. Like, just, just go with it. It's fine. Like you can treat it with respect and yes, it doesn't need to be the highest level in its world to not be fun and interesting and have narratives and have good players and have, you know, shit plays and whatever else. Like it's fine. It just, just, you know, be yourself. So, uh, yeah, that was my last way of saying ESPN out of my 18 for never doing that. Maybe Fox can pick up the pieces there. <laughs> uh, Chief, what what are you putting in? What are you taking out? Uh, in the 11 this week, um, holiday shopping. Uh, I haven't started it yet because I've been <laughs> insanely busy. And there is no worse feeling in the world than going online and checking what the ship times are for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing that it's the range for ship times now includes like December 27th, where yes. <laughs> it's almost like going to Vegas and, and putting some money down on the craps table. It's I can order this. Odds are based on the shipping window. There are more days before Christmas that it could arrive than after Christmas. But um, <laughs> I do this every year. I hate it. I hate Christmas shopping. I wish desperately we could normalize giving people cash. Uh, for Christmas and a nice a nice card with a nice note and cash because you know better than I do what you want and I've just got I've got I've my dad's uh, he, he remarried his wife is big on experiences there I want to I don't mm. I, we have enough stuff I want experiences I don't I what the hell does that even mean I don't know it's what <laughs> you want to buy here's the experience of not getting a gift right <laughs> Or here, I'm gonna buy you tickets to something. Hope you're in town for it. I just like I don't even know how to I don't yeah. know how to do that. I I this is a stressful time of the year for me, and I always start it too late, and everyone's just going to get whatever's on the Amazon homepage. Everyone's getting echo dots this year or something. <laughs> so I have been lobbying with my family for years, and it finally took last year that we just realized we're all adults. And we don't have to buy each other gifts. God, I want to get to that point. We have our we have our own things. We have our own money. We are I N D E P E N D E N T. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like gift giving is a bet that you will die before the other person because you were just trading gifts back and forth of similar value, probably, right? And so your goal is to die with the balance in your favor. Because otherwise, if you get stuck, you know, having having owed them a gift or or something like that, you you you're out. So it's a weird, it's a weird thing to I almost to gift feel give. like getting an adult a gift is like doing a prank on. Because you've like you've like given them something that they have to now find a place for in their house, and like if it's like a if it's like a like a vase or something like when you go over to their house, like you better see that vase, or else like well you you didn't like you didn't like it. I thought you said I thought you said you liked it. I thought you said it was really nice. It fit it's your room. It's an elaborate guessing game. I am guessing. I'm going to buy something online and hope that it's something that you want. And it's all, it's all just like a maybe, 
here, yeah. open this up. Let's see what happens. And, it, and then you get the, the, the text messages from people. Well, uh, you get it like from family members. Well, what does your wife want for Christmas? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I had, that is I had, that's I offensive had, to me you're right, making me do emotional labor right no you're, you're making doing, me think of something i want when i want nothing or, to make you work. happy to make you feel good that you got me a good gift it's like that is I emotional to, labor you should pay me for that i, I want to tell my my uh my, the person that asked i was like fuck you i have to live <laughs> with her all my good ideas i'm buying for that's what i <laughs> yeah. yeah you don't want to be outdone also right. like isn't the thought like thinking up of the thing like the hard part or like the core part of the gift giving like we're all capable of purchasing a thing it's like thinking of the good thing that is right. the, the core or, what, what, yeah. what would your what would your wife like uh i don't know a container house on freshly dried lava in hawaii <laughs> Yeah, no, it was the same thing. An A-frame cabin in Washington State. Yeah, she she was getting people that were asking, "So what does one for Christmas?" Fuck! <laughs> Whoever that guy is. <laughs> oh Jesus! I broke kayfabe myself. Oh, oh man, that's great. Um, asking what does the chief want for Christmas? And I was like, I don't know, a fucking Tesla. Like, I need a new car. Yeah, right. like, I'm saving up for that. Can you can you help with that? <laughs> this is where you can do the subtle thing of like, oh, you know what my wife really wants for Christmas? Uh, an extra large FCC jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why she put that on her list, but it's weird. <laughs> that would be that would be an incredible power move. Is if every gift your wife the wife got was actually for you, <laughs> and everything right. she's opening, it's like, did you tell them that? you wanted this xbox game it's like right. no i thought you would be really into this it's you know it's you the, said you love that yeah it's the, it's the prequel to final fantasy 7 who wouldn't want that what would you like uh a defined benefits pension right. <laughs> a 401k contribution you want right. here's the account details <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> i uh i will say i'm done with Christmas shopping, it was great. We we knocked it out before December started, so off the list, off the mind. Uh, ran into Target the other day, chaos, and I, I feel for you if you're if you're yeah. still in that struggle. Uh, out of my eighteen is yeah. consolation games. Um, <laughs> yeah, every every yep. four every four years, I'm reminded that for some inexplicable reason, the World Cup plays a third place game. I find third place. I find third place games to be offensive. Um, I don't have time for that. If you have lost in the knockout rounds, literally that means you should be knocked out. You have no further business in this tournament. I don't understand the fascination ever with awarding a bronze medal in something like this. I can't imagine a player at the World Cup ever in that hyper competitive environment coming home from you know to wherever they're coming home to, whether it's Croatia or Morocco and proudly displaying their bronze medal for the rest of their days, knowing that if they just played a little better, they might've actually won the world cup. I would look at that bronze medal and think I was so close to achieving greatness for my country. And here's this thing hanging on my wall at all times, reminding me that I didn't quite achieve it. It's silly. <laughs> it's stupid. They need to go away. I have no time for it. Um, third place games out of my 18. I, 
agree with you 100%. But it's weird that they keep it. Like, I understand there's, like, monetary value, but surely at some point the players will say, we don't want to play this game. This game serves no purpose. I'm not familiar with any other tournament in any sport that does a consolation third place game other than I say that as I just thought of an example fantasy football because third place tends to get their money back is usually how I've seen leagues do it that's the only time I've ever seen a consolation game uh matter and that's fantasy football that doesn't Olympics. matter I yep. mean Olympics are like diet because they're Cup, married to the to the yeah. three medals get the bronze yeah. medal yeah I guess. And I guess that makes sense there. But like, I don't know if the Gold Cup had a consolation game, which I think it did actually until fairly recently. I would be so fucking annoyed that the U.S. was in that. I would just yeah. be like, start whatever the nearest college team is as the U.S. team. I believe like, the U.S. played in the consolation game for Copa America Centenario. We did, didn't we? We lost to Colombia. I think. But I think we got out to like a 2-0 lead. You know, that looks bad on Columbia for trying. Yes. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah, sure. They, they, I would be okay with a third place game if they attach some stakes to it. Like if you win the third place game, it's an automatic qualifier for the next World Cup cycle. That's way more fun. That's way more fun. That you can win the golden ticket by winning the third place game or especially croatia morocco those teams aren't guaranteed those are tough qualifying regions even in an expanded field that'd be a hell of a prize yeah and maybe maybe like get really wacky and say that your women's team qualifies for the next world cup automatically too that there's like they saved the last place into the world cup for that and you can actually qualify your women's team by winning too yeah, but you end up with this awkward point where somebody qualifies a women's team that doesn't exist. Even like, more, even better, because you better go ahead and fucking start one real quick. They have to start one. Get training. You got a year. They get drawn in against the U.S. and we beat them twenty-seven nothing. Yeah. Just anything to make it anything to make it better than determining who the the runner up to the losers are. I just I don't I don't have time for that. I don't care. I like I like that idea. Here's an idea that this made me think of because I was thinking, what's the consolation prize in the Champions League? And it's the Europa League. And then it got me thinking, what if we just did an NIT World Cup at the same time with the 32 next teams? So Italy's there, you know, whoever else is there. It'll be a good time. They can all enjoy themselves and they can pretend they did something that summer, but it'd be in a different place. It would be like kind of in the US. I'm kind of surprised no one's actually tried that especially that, in the united wasn't states wasn't that the plan behind the world cup every two years no the plan behind the that, world cup every two years was just money they just wanted more money i thought i thought somebody was talking about okay you do the world cup every two years but it's like different teams in right. each tournament like one of them is the nit world cup I, which maybe there's something to that i will say no. i i'm a proponent of a three-year cycle. I think I've thought about this and I'm weighing on this. So you do three-year cycle. First year of the cycle is the World Cup. Second year of the cycle is the uh, Confederation. So your Gold Cup, your Euros, your Copa Americas. The third year 
is the Club World Cup. And because you're doing every three years, uh, every region sends three teams. So your three last winners of your Champions League. And then Oceania gets to send one. So they can figure out whatever tournament they need to send one team from the last three years. That gives you 16 teams. That is the perfect knockout tournament. And that's your Club World Cup every three years. Boom, boom, boom. You don't miss anybody's peaks. You get fantastic tournaments back to back to back to back to back. It'd be lovely. And you just do the women's cycle the same, but just like alter it one year slightly so that the women's nations world cup is going up against the uh, men's club world cup and just go from there. I think it'd be a hell of a time. So there you go. That's my proposal. I don't know if that has to do with bronze medals, but <laughs> glad Whatever. I could take over your point. Yeah. <laughs> go off, go off, champ. <laughs> Grayson, what's in your eleven? What's out of your eighteen? Um, in my eleven, um, I've been watching this like this is very long term. It's this like I don't know eighteen part documentary called the story of film. Okay. It's really, really good. It's like six DVDs. There's three chapters on each DVD. They're about an hour a chapter. And it's it's fascinating. It's comprehensive. It goes into um really in-depth about movies. And it's narrated by this guy who's got this just real soothing monotone that 80% of the time I think he's Irish and then the other part of the time I'm like oh, is he from like Northern England or Wales or something and he never varies his he never varies his tone um, and so and, and he does like he does like the craziest jumps and references like he'll be like and then Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory came out and Willy Wonka showed children a world of yeah imagination but the roots but the roots of Willy Wonka are really found in 1930s Pakistani film and then it'll cut over to like some old like black and white like Pakistani film of some like and it'll be like way different right it'll be like a child trafficker taking like five orphans down a river in Pakistan and like telling each one of them like specifically like your parents don't love you It'll be like a beautiful and terrifying and 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 heartbreaking scene. And, you know, it'll be it's just it's crazy. Damn. It's crazy. Like, I like I don't know how this guy knows so much about movies because they jump around. They show you like Egyptians. It'd be like, and for reality, he found these five children living in an orphanage, sleeping on a floor. And running, <laughs> running errands for a heroin dealer. Like, it's just like crazy, Jeez. just crazy stories just delivered in this like weird, this weird monotone voice. And I can't get enough of it. What's it called? And this is, yeah, what's this called? It's called, it's called The Story of Film. The Story of I'm Film. In. Did you get to the part where they talk about Escape to Victory yet? No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I am, I am like six hours in, so I'm at like 1930. Oh, you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what my indie 11 was supposed to be? It was supposed to be that there's an Avatar sequel coming out this weekend. And I feel like that just sort of snuck up on everyone. That somehow the sequel to the biggest movie ever made we'll by box it. office. 
we'll do it. We'll do it next week or whenever we do the uh, film room on Avatar. Can we do so, the no, legitimately? Can we do the film room on Avatar? Because I'm so, going to rewatch it anyway. But it's it's this weird thing where I don't know anyone that has rewatched this movie since it came out in theaters. Hold on, I. I don't know for a fact, but I think you got to be careful about how you rewatch Avatar because you know how they like, because I think there's like a weird edit. I've heard, I've heard something about there being a weird edit on like the Disney plus version. You know how they like interlock the hairs both to like yes, have they, sex, but also to like ride the horse. Yeah. So then you question yep. like, are they having sex when they ride the horse? Right. Or this um, idea that like the, I think they the... I think they cut out them interlocking the hairs on the horse or something. Like they did what? something yeah. weird. And and like if we're they gonna watch it for if we're gonna watch it for, for for film room, we need to watch like the original cut of Avatar. We gotta make sure that there's not some weird like sanitized Disney plus no, version. I wanna of see Avatar. I wanna see the horse fucking if we're gonna do this again. We need to see <laughs> yeah. we need the Han shot first cut. Right. Um I, I mean, this will come up when we talk about this, but my brother is the single greatest Avatar fan. My brother is uh, big into to films and everything else, and he is uh, not shut up about Avatar since it came out. I think he has seen it in theaters multiple times because they continue to release it. So Avatar is front of mind because there are multiple family and cousins group chats where he will not shut up about it. So right. I so, will be forced to watch so, this at some so, point. So, I don't want to get I don't want I don't want to get too in depth into it if we're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, just we commit like, we commit right now that we're going to make yes. that the film room next week. Yes. All right. Cool. Okay. Right. I can right. I can make that happen. All right. Avatar. Um. Right. Avatar. Avatar is like a Avatar is a great film. By the way, I loved it. I don't, but I haven't watched it since it was out in theaters. And, and, it, okay. and it's extremely powerful. Like you had people like. Getting like clearly depressed that, that they like oh, couldn't become like a Navi. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You, there, I was a, there was there was an episode of How to with John Wilson where he like spoke to people who like like li they're in like a group where they pretend to be Navi and he talks to them yeah. and it's like, oh my god, it's heartbreaking. It's a lot. It's beautiful I, uh, and wonderful. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's not good. It's not a good movie. It looks no, good. It's, it's an incredible movie. It's visually impressive. It's a really We'll, we'll is, argue about this yeah, no, when we we'll argue about this. Yeah, I'll just say entirely. I'll say it's been years. I've had this beaten in my head. If you can name one other character who is not Jake Sully and you only remember Jake Sully cuz the woman says Jake Sully real weird in the movie, then then I'll oh, give you okay. Well, first wait, wait, of all, wait, wait, I nobody wait, wait, remembers anybody's name. any other characters. Yeah. No, I um, <laughs> Her name's Natiri, right? Damn Natiri. You. No, and the dude. Uh, but the, I the, never remember people's names. I remember people's vibes. Right. I know they're like vibes and their auras. Right. Um, the, Sigourney uh, Weaver. Sigourney. Yeah, no. Uh, the she dude, is in that movie. What is her character's name? Couldn't tell dude, you. I don't remember anybody's name. <laughs> no, the evil dude was named like Miles or something like that. Like the general. Maybe. I have no clue. And I think the I think the dude. But I remember was, his character. Right. Like, remember his characterization? I'm just saying, you watch Star Wars once, and Vader, and Luke, and Han, and Leia, they stick with you forever. And Avatar came and was supposed to be at that level, and you got Jake Sully and, and maybe Natiri. Okay. The, the dude that Natiri was gonna <laughs> was supposed to be married, the dude that beats the shit out of Jake Sully, I think that was, um, his name was like Chakotay or something like that. No, wait, that was the dude Chakotay from Star Trek. was, was from Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm just saying, if this movie's this good, somebody'd remember another character. Well, I, I had this fight with somebody about Andor. I loved Andor. 
No one can remember I don't know anyone's anybody's name, name except for yeah. Andor. Andor, just because his name's in the show. Nobody remembers what like yeah, the, I, his I mom's name was. Nobody's name in Andor. Right. Like you spent uh, you spent like two episodes, three episodes with uh with um Andy Circus Gollum in the prison. Nobody remembers the guy's name was. Doesn't matter what Doesn't his matter. name is. Right. Now speaking of we professional we see him the in the soul. We're not looking at him in the credits. We're looking at him in the soul. Uh, I can't swim. It's just oh, it's brutal. One of the, one of the hardest, uh, hardest it was hits. A gut punch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, so, what's out of your eighteen, Grayson? <laughs> out of out of my eighteen is uh, uh, apparently uh, rooting for the college that you went to, because uh, oh, a lot oh. of people. I'm seeing lots of people who are going. All, all in on on college sports teams. They clearly did not go to that school. <laughs> um, and I think that somebody should root for the school that they went to. It's the only time in fandom that both you choose it and it chooses you. And you say like, okay, well, I didn't. I went to a school that didn't have a college football team. What am I supposed to do? Well. You don't get to root for a college football team, but you do get to work at like Vox Media or something because you went to a liberal arts school and that's what you get to do from there. So it's a trade off. You know, I went I I went to two different schools. I root for two colleges. Six flex. My parents, my parents went to UC. I am not a UC fan. I don't give a shit about UC. I didn't go there. And so, you know, I root for the schools that I went to, and right. I think everybody should just root for the school that you go to. Is this the part where we reveal on the podcast that you went to one of the greatest all-time football schools of all time, as well as one of the greatest all-time basketball schools of all time? Yeah, how, what's that What's that basketball school doing for me right now? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Not I mean, great. <laughs> maybe, maybe Otherwise, it would look very bandwagony if you if you posted your uh, your fandoms. <laughs> make Make different choices. You know, yeah. you could have made you could have made different choices. It's my fault. It's my fault. I picked winners. So let me ask you this. If you have a uh, uh, so you got your bachelor's degree at one school and a, a postgraduate degree, I'll leave it vague at another school and they play each other in the sport. Which one are you supposed to have loyalties to? Is it the most recent one or the one you picked first? So I believe that you're I believe you I believe your bachelor's degree uh, breaks the tie. I would agree. I think, I think, I think rooting for the school you went to graduate school at is kind of a hard O move. I I really, (laughs) it's just, I, I mean, you you shouldn't be that into it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in no danger of driving up for Bowling Green Toledo ever in my life. It just doesn't need to happen. (laughs) The people that were super into like Toledo athletics when I was in grad school, as grad students it was a little weird it was a little weird <laughs> also because it's, it's fucking toledo who cares i don't know man you spend you spend a few years in a place you know you get you get, you get to go to games you get to wear that you get to wear the merch right i yeah, mean just, it's what just, if just hate the hate, we, we we hate those other mac schools man i just i just those years i spent up in northwest ohio i just i see any direction in the state of Michigan, and I just get angry still to this day. <laughs> which which way to the brewery? I just go west in Michigan. Oh fuck oh, you, fuck, man! No, fuck. <laughs> well, you gotta take a Michigan left, and I'm out. I'm out still on uh, that. It's it's too close. <laughs> 
So I uh, the, the, the caveat the caveat to this yes. is you can root against schools. Okay. So like I see I saw a lot of people, especially people around from around here, uh root against Ohio State. That's, That's fair very much game. Where I land. Right. Yes. That's fair game. You can hate you can hate whatever school you want and just I you know, you know so, enjoy so, enjoy their misery. So theoretically but then, speaking, but, but then like taking on like another school that you didn't go to and being like, we, us, my school, I love, I love this school. That's, that's a step too far. What if I just happen to root against every team Xavier plays in basketball for the remainder of the season? No, you gotta have, you gotta have like a personal reason to like bask <laughs> in somebody's misery. <laughs> what, what about being a season ticket holder and now four-time loser of the 50-50 raffle at Xavier home games this year? Nah, man. Fair enough. Nah. Fair enough. Just asking. Hey, it's like it's like it's no like uh, coming. <laughs> yeah, Sean Miller did nothing wrong. Exonerated. Full exoneration. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like saying nice job to the guy that pulled your girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, she's uh, a catch. Grayson. If uh, if instead of say buying a uh, an Ohio State Buckeye sweatshirt at Walmart, somebody were to enroll in some bullshit web design Ohio State class that would technically count as a third of a credit hour somewhere for fifty bucks, you, you let them into the club. They've they've taken a, an accredited class. Uh, I'll I'll listen. I think there's always, there's always going to be like edge cases, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, oh, I wish you know what, you know what the better... funniest thing is, by the way? Yes. This is totally, this is apropos of nothing. I love <laughs> when you, when you go on like somebody's LinkedIn and they're like, oh, like I'm Harvard trained or like I have, <laughs> I have a Harvard certificate or something because they yes. went to like some weekend seminar right. that Harvard charged like $10,000 to, to a bunch of schmucks. Who just wanted to yes. put Harvard trained on their LinkedIn? That was that's like, like the, that's one of the saddest and funniest things you can ever see. When we were in, when we were up at, when I was up at Toledo, we referred to it as an Ohio State University. Yes, yeah, yes. that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. I, uh, I I think it's the equivalent of like sending your kid to a Barcelona soccer camp where you're paying like ten grand to have the assistant 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 manager take a look at your kid for 10 minutes you're like damn Dude, people spend 70 grand a year to send them to that barcelona academy in arizona man you guys, the, the amount of subtweeting on joe sue right now is getting out of control <laughs> <laughs> hey that arizona barcelona academy has produced at least Three credible MLS starters. I thought you were going to say at least $3 million in tuition fees for... Oh, it's a moneymaker for (laughs) Barcelona. Don't get me wrong. There's a reason why they keep that thing going. (laughs) Yeah, you spend 70K a year to send your kid to the uh, Barcelona Academy in Arizona, and then they get a scholarship to North Carolina worth $15,000 a year. (laughs) Math. Right, right. (laughs) And, and get a degree where they have a job that pays fifty thousand dollars. I mean, North Carolina is a good school, but you could just I use mean, you could just pay tuition there. I mean, can you really can you really put a price though on being able to be a North Carolina fan for the rest of your life and just being an insufferable douchebag in in North Carolina blue? <laughs> I, I wouldn't I know say- about that. <laughs> Grayson's Grayson's rule here would really decimate the small school in a big city athletic budget like your villanovas 
are, are don't have much if yeah. you're only relying yeah. on it would your alumni base. Villanova, <laughs> Xavier. I'm noticing a pattern Marquette. on the schools that would be Hang on. Yeah. Go to Xavier. <laughs> Go to John. Villanova. Let's just run through the Big East roster here real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if, if, if Big East schools, if certain Big East schools have a hard time, uh, that's, that's none of my business. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Um, that's gonna do it for part one. I think <laughs> I mean, that's, that's enough, right? I think there was plenty of soccer talk in there. Jesus. We mentioned at least two or three teams. Um, part two, though, I we we talked about it briefly. Uh, the film room where we watched Victory slash Escape to Victory. Maybe we try to clear that piece up immediately, but that'll be in part two. Awesome film, Pele, Sylvester Stallone, hot Michael Caine. What? Uh, let's 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 jump over to part two. <laughs> Oh, we're back. The film room. And yes, absolutely hot Michael Caine. When I was watching this uh, the other night, uh, I was listening. So this is the best feature of an Apple TV is that I can sync my uh, AirPods to the TV. So my wife was trying to sleep next to me, but I wanted to watch the movie. I'm laying in bed. And every time Michael Caine came on, I nudged her. Hot Michael Caine's on. Hot <laughs> Michael Caine's on. <laughs> so, I mean, can we uh, all, that's can how we all, I viewed the movie. Can we all agree that... <laughs> If you had to come back as one person, Michael Caine isn't a terrible choice. <laughs> I it's been great because uh, the the kiddos that are really into the Muppets for some reason got to be the only uh, kids Muppet Christmas post Carol. like nineteen ten or yeah, oh. whatever like Muppet Christmas Carol. But Slay. Muppet Christmas Ray Carol movie. has been on repeat, Slay. and uh, I mean, real nerdy. But Disney Plus just added the uh, the for was whatever reason the cut song like uh, that they had cut out of the the post theatrical release that they did. So they put the the love song back into it. It's very nice. I'm glad we got the full movie in there. Uh, but no, we watched Escape to Victory, which uh, should be pointed out. Uh, a lot of people call it Victory. I think I called it Victory on the last week's episode. All of the branding around this and all the advertising and all the movie posters just say victory, but it is officially escape to victory. Very confusing. Did they, did they worry I don't know if you guys had that trip up. Did yeah. they worry that there was a spoiler in the title? <laughs> Maybe escape to victory. Who right. knows? Or that like there uh, is, that the movie doesn't end in a victory. So <laughs> Big which was so good. Yeah. Uh, I love nothing that more it is... soccer than embracing the tie as the out- the tie that's actually a win as the outcome of the game. The tie the that tie you should have is... won because you got a goal. Uh, the bullshit disallowed improperly goal. disallowed. Yeah, <laughs> very soccer. So, so let I, I want to before we really start talking about yes. the, the soccer aspects of this movie. I I, I have had heard of this movie, and the yes. way it had always been described to me is Sylvester Stallone tries to play soccer. Yeah. And, right. To me, that was always something where it's like, oh, Christ, because you I love Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Demolition Man is probably the the, the pinnacle of the 80s action movie. <laughs> that was I know that came out in 1993, but that was sort of like the yes. last holdout of great 80s action. Um, Cobra is just a tremendous watch at all times. Uh, Rocky needs n- no introduction needed on that. But right sly playing soccer which first is not first something... blood first blood is like oh it's, it's one of the best war movies of ever ever yeah. that's ever been made 
certainly one of the best movies that's been made about like coming back from war. Right. Yeah. Post-traumatic stress, all that good so, stuff. Yeah. yeah. This is all as a setup to say that like I was not prepared for just how good of a movie this was. It's Am I wrong really on that? good. It's really good. It's really good. I, I could quibble with some of Stallone's acting in the first half of the movie. There's some, he's like weirdly whiny for some reason. But uh, other than that, like this, this hit every beat you would look for in a good movie. It's a good war movie. It's a good sports movie. Weigh in on this movie. And yeah, I had the same idea too, that it was like, that it was a joke, that it was a meme, that it was like, I mean, not unlike how we viewed the Mario Brothers movie going into it is like, holy shit, was that like a fever dream? Like, did we make that up in our minds or no shit? They actually filmed that. This was really good. And I I, I was telling Grayson before we recorded, I think it gets that reputation in the US just because like in the 80s when it came out, like the American sports media in in sports consuming uh public in the u.s just like wasn't into soccer at all and was like way out on the yeah. concept of the movie i mean they this was this would have come out right around the time the nasl was collapsing I think. it was like yeah. 80 81 i think it came yeah. out and so and nasl collapses 86 87 so like it was there. in decline there had already been a couple franchises that had folded it was generally being viewed at that time as a bust of trying to bring soccer to the united yeah. states and um it's it's interesting i know you you brought this up earlier but the soccer in this movie is really good and yes. it, i was watching this and all i could think about when it came to the soccer was if you were ever going to make soccer appealing to americans this is probably how you'd present it where the soccer is brutally physical yes um, there's none of the flopping that people associate with the sport it was people when you got got you got fucking got by a tackle yes. in this movie. Um, and, and so it, all I could think about watching the soccer was, yeah, this, I don't understand why this didn't test well in terms of like, wait, is this what the sport looks like? I would watch the sport if it looked like this, not so much that it involved actual Nazis playing. I don't think people want more Nazis <laughs> playing soccer, but just the physicality, the way they present the game in this movie. Yeah. So the, um, and we should probably like kind of just for people who haven't seen it kind of lay out the, the yes, plot yes, in, in a second. But one of the things that, I, that was actually surprising to me with how physical the play was, was one of the points they make in the movie is that they are not getting a fair shake with the referees. Yes. Where like the, the Nazis are getting like a lot more leeway and get, getting favorable calls. But there's multiple times where like the uh, ally POWs like make a tackle and win the ball where I'm like, oh, they're going to call that a foul. No, like where I was like that was like, I was like I was like oh I might have called a foul there, but it's just like it's just like so physical. The part about the referees being bought off by the the evil Germans, I found that to be the most relatable part of the film as an FC Cincinnati fan. Yeah, <laughs> so true. So so but true for people that haven't seen the movie. If you haven't seen, yeah. just pause the podcast and go find this and go watch it. The the plot of this movie is it takes place in a German POW camp during I would say probably the height of world war ii it's it's definitely pre-d-day um it's uh they mention uh things aren't going well for the germans in north africa at the very yeah. beginning so that's about the timeline was it 1941 42 right. somewhere in there but um, it's all it's all british yes, like commonwealth right. it's all it's all british commonwealth prisoners yeah and and they, they <laughs> which they, is they, funny <laughs> they take great pains that sylvester stallone is the only american there and they they note in the movie that he's only there because he enlisted in the canadian army 
And so in 1938, before yeah. the before the U.S. entered the war. So um, it takes place what in a weird German, move, right? <laughs> Just that like going to a foreign. That's that's how Ben Affleck ended up uh, missing in the movie Pearl Harbor. Oh, oh yeah. He enlisted in the Canadian uh, Air Force. Huh. What a movie. Can, Pearl can you do that now? Like, can I just like. Yeah, I, I think mean, that is not too people, old, but like, like could, could how, you just walk to Canada and enlist? I think that's how people <laughs> get into Ukraine, isn't it? That they go enlist in some army that's fighting over there. And it's basically how mercenaries yeah. get involved in the war. I mean, if it's a active war environment, sure. But 1938, Canada? I don't know if I'm taking some of, random ass they're American. Part of, they were part of the Commonwealth, though, weren't they? Yeah. So like they would yeah, they, they would have the... jumped to the defense of the uh, the British Empire. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Okay. Sure. 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 Okay. I'm in. I'm All in. Right. I'm in. So <laughs> it takes place at a POW camp that is being run by the British. Um, in terms of the POWs, there's a yes. prisoner hierarchy. And if you've ever followed this genre of movie, and I I love this genre of movie, The Great Escape, Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, all these movies that are basically POW prison camp type movies yes. set during the war. If you follow this, it, it plays on a lot of the genre tropes of among the prisoners, they still hold to rank. The ranking officers still have command over their other officers that have been captured and they report to one another and they still follow some military chain of command. And within the sort of officer structure of the British officers that are there, um, uh, Michael Caine plays a West Ham United uh, current active player, even though he looks like he's fucking 45 in this movie. <laughs> he is old um, in the movie. Yeah. He is playing <laughs> a current West Ham United player that was drafted into service, serving as an officer and was captured. He is approached by and recognized by a German officer being played by Max von Sydow, who I love in anything Max von Sydow so is good. in. I am completely in. You don't need to tell me anything else about it. Um, who's Who played, by whose, whose character played for Germany at the, the 1938 World, World, Cup. World Cup, right? Which tying back into uh, uh, what was the United <laughs> Passions? Where we yeah, told yeah. more about that World Cup. Mussolini's uh, show off, yeah, right. sports washing <laughs> original. And the with a very long story short, Michael Caine is convinced by the German officer who sees them playing football in the yard to form a football team to play against a bunch of Germans, uh, German officers in a friendly. And then that eventually gets escalated to, uh, we can give you prisoners from all other camps to build the best team of POWs possible to play the German national team, not the German officers, uh, at, in Cologne at an actual soccer stadium in occupied uh, France. And so the entire movie is about Michael Caine building out this roster. And then Sylvester Stallone is the American by way of Canada who is desperately trying to escape the prison and views the team as an opportunity to help him escape and hilarity ensues, I guess, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, it does, um, yeah. <laughs> so some background, it is based on a Hungarian film that, that seems like it was much more serious. It was called two halves in hell. And the Hungarian film Whoa. was based specifically on the death game, which we talked about. Yeah. And of the death match, which we talked about during the uh, United Passions. So the in the Hungarian film, like the players end up executed at the end. Um, with this yeah. movie is more lighthearted Although, than that. It's it's, it's kind pretty of serious to that. It is, it is pretty serious. It is pretty serious. Yeah. Um, and just for uh, for the cinephiles out there, uh, the movie is directed by John Huston, who is like 
one of like the great American directors of the 20th century. He directed The Maltese Falcon, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, The African Queen, Moby Dick, The Bible, Prizzy's Honor, um, the original Casino Royale, which was a spoof of the James Bond movies where the bad guy is Woody Allen and he comes up with a virus that kills every man above five foot eight and makes every woman grow to like six foot two. It's like just like a wild, <laughs> wild 60s movie. Um, also, uh, John Houston acted and he was the villain in the movie Chinatown, which is maybe the best movie ever. It's, and he, yeah, up there, he was he was the voice of uh, Gandalf in the 1970s Hobbit cartoon. Yeah. And in fact, if you read anything, if you read anything, credit. if you read anything about this movie, most of the people involved got involved in this movie because they wanted to work specifically with John Houston. Yeah. Except for Michael Caine, where he gave an interview and said the only reason he did the movie was that Pele was going to be coaching all of the soccer in the movie, and he just wanted to spend time with Pele. Which yeah. was a fantastic choice. Yep. Um, yeah, so... I, first off, yeah, we, we talked about it. The actual soccer is awesome. And it's like really well done. It was kind of jarring to see that compared to, and I know we talked about this a little bit earlier too, but uh, compared to like Ted Lasso's soccer scenes, where it's so obviously a TV show, where it's like, you could maybe convince me I was looking at a clip of a 1940s soccer game if you if you put the right filter over this movie at the right time. Well, the the camera um, the camera is like far away from the field, yeah. So you like get a like a pretty expansive camera, yeah. view of the action. Um, the 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 peop, the actors who play in the game, other than basically Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone, and I'll get to Sylvester Stallone in a minute because, um. <laughs> The actors who play in the game are all former professional soccer players. And the movie, um, I think, makes a very smart decision to have uh, most of the earlier narrative done through professional actors. And then the actual players who have very, like, few lines in, in small parts in, like, the earlier narrative of the movie. But the actual players in the game are played by professional soccer players and you can tell yes i mean it's not it's not just like clever cutting or anything i mean they're actually uh playing the game a bit and it looks better than just about any soccer that i've ever seen in a fictional film or tv show except for sylvester stallone's goalkeeping <laughs> he's, he's, he's not good. I Pele gets the headline here, but Sir Bobby Moore is in this, yeah. arguably the the best British soccer player of all time. Also, my favorite addition. He's got such a distinct face. Um, Osvaldo Ardiles. He's a Argentinian. He's a active. Uh, he is a member of Tottenham Hotspur while this movie is filming. He goes on to have ten more years as a professional footballer, including a stint. With the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, uh, which is great. <laughs> that's, he uh, that's he's also cut. the first. Oh yeah, dude, this guy, awesome. His management career is 
insanity. It's every team you've ever heard of. Swindon Town, Newcastle United, West Brom, Tottenham, Chivas Guadalajara. He goes and does a tour in Japan, uh, Croatia's Zagreb Racing Club, a club in Tokyo again. He coaches a team in Jerusalem. He's the Malaysian national team manager in 2013. <laughs> Wild career for this dude. What, what, what they do that's smart is that they never ask any of these guys to do any heavy lifting acting. Right. I think Pele, Pele, Pele has, has lines. four lines, maybe, in this entire movie. He's not a good actor. No. It, it, no, it, it's, <laughs> he is clearly there to put his name on the marquee to get yes. people in the door to watch it. And also, if you read the credits and you read anything about this movie, Pele was basically given the freedom to design all of the shots and all of the moves for the soccer scenes. So if you ever wonder what great job, <laughs> you ever wonder what goes on in Pele's brain. Apparently, it's a lot of two footed tackles that get nowhere near the ball. So I assume that this was a commentary on how he was defended his entire yes. career. Um, and for that, that was, for that, it's yeah, brilliant. <laughs> That is the most accurate part of this movie is that Pele just gets hacked to death by the Germans. Not literally, which should probably be clear in a movie involving the Nazis, but he's he's getting hacked in the yeah. in the film. And I don't know if you guys picked up on this. Um the the, the allies played down a man for 40 minutes of yeah. the second half. Yeah, Fucking incredible. They don't want to sell Pele. They don't want it. Yeah. Right. Like, he's so he comes good. Back in. <laughs> Um, when, when he comes back in, I'm like, oh shit! They, this whole comeback has been went down a man. It was so good. So, so I wanted to. I, I do want to talk about Sylvester Stallone in this movie. And yes. so, he is terrible in all the soccer scenes. But yeah. having said that, what I respect in this movie and what I wasn't prepared for was that it's very self-aware that Sylvester yes. Stallone is terrible at soccer. And I, what I was expecting the entire time, even during the middle of the movie, when I was finding myself really like, wow, I really enjoy this movie. I was expecting somehow Sylvester Stallone by the end of the movie to in grand American fashion, master how to play goalkeeper and do a really good job at it in the final match. That the movie culminates in at the, at the climax of the movie. And instead he's terrible in that. He <laughs> lets in a lot of easy goals. He is chastised by Michael Caine several times for not doing the right thing. He's kicked square in the head and suffers a concussion. I'm sure Taylor Twelman <laughs> freaked the fuck out watching this movie um, and stays in the game. The only part of the movie where he displays any kind of competence is in stopping a penalty. And to be fair, stopping a penalty, that's a 50-50 guess for most people anyway. So I think, I think that that was rigged like i think Ooh. in the narrative of the film because so 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 to set up if for people who didn't watch it and decided that they didn't care about spoilers at the at the death with the game tied 4-4 the ref awards a penalty to the nazis which was a, cl a fair penalty penalty was not fair <laughs> no right but this was a clear right. pen um so <laughs> stallone, stallone walks up to the guy and they kind of stare at each other for a second but it's not a stare down like you didn't think so it feels like i took it as a stare down it feels like they're verbally they're like non-verbally communicating and then the and then the camera zooms way way out and we look at them standing there 
Um, we look at them standing there from like away aerial footage, and we go back down, and Stallone just kind of like shrugs and walks back. And the guy and the kick is just kind of soft. And yeah, he you see him go to his knee. Down. What's that? Yeah. He catches yeah. the ball when the ball is on yeah. its way down. Yeah, it's, the, there was not a lot of venom. And the German like goes down to his knees, but he just kind of like kind of half-ass scratches his head. I think that they agreed that for try. sportsmanship, he was gonna that he was not gonna really try to score the penalty. Ooh. And I think that that was the point of them staying there for so long, and then the camera panning out so we could not like see what their what their interaction was in that moment. The uh, the guy who puts on the game applauds, which yeah, is yeah. poor decision, my yeah. man. Yeah, like <laughs> I did not. You're gonna get like hanged that last that the week. Right. And right. I, I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, he's a clapping Nazi. I'm not gonna feel good for him for, for no. doing that. No, I don't feel good for him at all. Yeah, because I, th- yeah. I thought the movie was gonna do like, oh, this is the good Nazi, and it kind of like gestured in that direction, but it didn't really go there. No, it's like this is the Nazi who probably cares more about soccer than Nazism. But he's right. fine That's with Nazism. That's as much as we'll give him. Right. But he's, right. still, he's still good he's, with he's Nazism. Still, he's, still, he's, he's good puts, with it. Just puts the uniform on, goes to work. <laughs> but, yeah. but, the, the, it's funny that you bring that scene up, Grayson, of the, the, uh, them staring each other down. That was the one part of the movie that really took me out of everything I'd Ooh. seen. And it's a really small thing. And once I saw it, I couldn't unnotice it in every one of these scene cuts. And that's that when it cuts to shots that are over Sylvester Stallone's shoulder, the crowd is at rapt attention focused on this moment. But when it cuts to scenes over the German's shoulder, that's looking at the far um, end of the stadium away from where they're filming. And you can see people just milling about in the stadium, walking back and forth <laughs> in what should be this like ultimate moment, moment of it yeah. all comes down to this. And it looks like people are just having a cocktail party, waiting for something to happen, like going up and down the stands, walking around in the concourse area. And once I saw that, that was all I could see in that particular sense. Because largely the crowd is really good. Yeah. And yeah. When um, so Pele, of course, does a bicycle kick in the movie. And the one thing so I did good. read about this movie is that the cheer in that moment is like genuine, genuinely rapturous because P- Pele did the bicycle kick in one take. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Um, it's so good, too. And then I also thought it was really impressive when the during the during the penalty or right before the penalty, the crowd goes into La Marseillaise, which is, you know. Yeah. Goat, goat yeah. national anthem. Um, the play the Marseillaise scene in Casablanca, one of the greatest scenes of all time. Yep. Anytime you get, anytime you get a big crowd into that song, you know, I think even there was no way this guy is making this penalty. No, at that's also like they're playing, they're playing the the song, but it, it's also unquestionably the coolest, the coolest French people have ever been is during the resistance. Like that yes. is yeah. you are the actual rebel alliance. You people are badass. And the fact that you squandered all of that goodwill by being insufferable cigarette smoking douchebags since then <laughs> is, is is just just an unforced L on all levels. Um 
the uh, the, the, the I don't know if you read this too about the movie, but apparently the 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 script and the version of this that Sylvester Stallone wanted was a script that involved him scoring the winning goal. Oh god! Oh boy! Yeah, no, you can't no, do that. But, you can't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> yes, you can because we've seen it happen, and that's on the the corner kick at the death. The goalie comes up in that moment. Oh, okay, sure. That's how it he could have hand of Godded it before the hand of that God. was a that was a funny gag, by the way, where Sylvester Stallone keeps asking Michael Caine where to stand on corners. Yeah, <laughs> and like <laughs> that was great, and it was very annoying that he wouldn't tell him. Like, yeah. Hey man, I, do you actually so want to no, try? I genuinely believe the reason why he kept asking where to stand on corners was because oh. the original ending of this movie was going to involve him scoring a goal uh. and he wanted to know where to be. And so it would all come back to like, he knew where to be on the corner. It would make way more sense. Cause Michael Caine tells him to stand at the far post, uh, which is, I don't think where you want your goalkeeper on a corner. That was a weird tactical decision. And I don't know, maybe <laughs> something that's evolved over the years, but uh, it would make sense if he's going up for the header though, on the other side. But yeah, I thought that was I thought that was great. I I was so annoyed that they played the rest of the game. I gotta say that. Like, how the fuck you're you're losing four to one? You have the French resistance has literally tunneled you to safety. You know, an hour from now, you can be basically in the middle of nowhere and on your way back to whatever home you want to call home. And uh, they're all like, "No, no, we can beat them." Like, hey yeah. guys doesn't fucking matter <laughs> like yeah so what happened what happened folks is um the entire reason that sylvester stallone was at the game is because he was instrumental to the escape plan and yeah. the escape plan was that the french resistance were going to tunnel them away out under the stadium that went into their locker room and at halftime the entire team was going to go out and it was viewed as important by the British officers because the Nazis were going to use this game as a propaganda for Nazi soldiers beating allied soldiers in soccer. Yeah. And they were going to reverse it and say like, Oh, this is our propaganda where we're going to have this big um, mass prison escape right under their noses. And yeah. instead uh, Pele says uh, we can beat them. We can beat them. It's important and that we win this. <laughs> Yeah, and they decide to go back out for the second half to the consternation of the uh, uh, British officers uh, who saw them. Yeah, It is interesting that they, they portray Sylvester Stallone in the light of, we need to run away, so it's the American that is leading the charge to... Because in most of these situations, I would assume that the American would be the person like, no, we have to finish the game, we don't Let's run from these motherfuckers, yeah. Yeah. we're going to take it to them in the second half. But instead, it's Sylvester Stallone calling out the rest of the Brits and all of them for wanting to cut and for not wanting to get out. We've done our thing. Let's get the hell out of here. And it's a classic trope in this type of movie of the prisoner that becomes more focused on the goal than actually yes. um, doing what they need to do to undermine the enemy. Like This was the entire plot of Bridge on the River Kwai was them building this bridge and we're, we're British officers. We're going to build this bridge as best we can. And then finally common sense is no, we've got to blow this up. Like we cannot help the enemy get this piece of vital right. infrastructure. And it, a minor complaint I had about this movie was that Michael Caine 
at every point in this movie makes the wrong decision as an <laughs> officer in uh, His Majesty's <laughs> Army. He should never have agreed to the match uh, because it's propaganda tool for the Germans. And I, I loved the scene during the broadcast of the radio where the German announcer yes. had access to a machine that turned the applause on for when the Germans scored, which I was like, <laughs> I absolutely believe that existed, that Hitler had that designed in the real world. If yeah. It's in some museum somewhere. Um, but that he goes through with the match. He summons the Eastern European players who'd all been worked to death in a labor camp, which then forces his hand to need to play because we can't send them back to whatever the hell hole they were in. He goes through with the match. He could have left at halftime, doesn't do that, disobeys direct orders from his supervisor, and it still turns out okay because, as it turns out, the crowd rushes the field and they all sneak out together in the oncoming, like, pitch invasion. Which is a great scene because it's like all the players, you, you see all the, the crowds, like, rushing around the, all the players, and the crowd is like, it's like the, the crowd is like giving the players all like the most like stereotypically like French outfits there is. Like they, they give them yes. all like horizontally striped black and white shirts, berets. <laughs> they hand them baguettes. They're like running out. But um, you are one of us now. Yeah, which, which it's, it's a great it's a really it's a really great scene. Great ending to the movie. Um, I don't agree with your take on the Michael Caine character. Um, Ooh. I think that there's a lot of like class throughout the movie like a lot of like class consciousness let's say throughout the movie and there's like little details that i think are are important like for example um the way we we're introduced to pele is uh the the british soldiers are playing uh or they're playing soccer and a ball rolls out of bounds and it rolls to like a group of like black soldiers who are just sitting there Right. Yeah. And Pele gets up and he, you know, juggles the ball like 45 times. And Michael Caine's like, oh, you're on the team. And we find out he, you know, he's in the movie. He's Trinidadian, which which was part of the Commonwealth at the time. There were Caribbean right. soldiers. It wouldn't make sense to have like a Brazilian guy there. Um, <laughs> but it's just right. funny. It's like it's like, oh, why are like all the black Caribbean soldiers just sitting off to the side? Why aren't they allowed to, you know, just. Like, why wasn't Pele already playing in the game? Well, I, I think they addressed that. You know, they actually had like a league, and so they had. It's, it was made. It was implied that they, they had, had four divisions. Teams. They had pro rel in the uh, <laughs> in the in the in the they prison. Did. They had pro rel and they had international squads. Yeah. Squads, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, like, so Michael Caine's an officer, but it's kind of hinted that he's from a working class background, and he plays for yeah. West Ham United. I mean, like, really, the only reason that he's an officer is he's a professional footballer and he doesn't really seem to get on with the the officers no and time and again he is very um concerned with you know like what 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 in my view draws him to the game is he sees an opportunity to get you know extra rations for yeah. his players who were all like working class enlisted guys and he also to your point he also makes a very specific point in the movie of saying i won't do it if it's only officers i want to have yeah. enlisted men yep. involved in the team as well which yep. is a great trick the movie uses i think you were talking about this when we were before we started recording that by making all of the players enlisted men it also absolves the many duties to move the plot along as the yep. officers are the people that do all the plot exposition 
and do all the machinations of the escape plans and everything like that. So by bringing in all the pro athletes as enlisted men, it allows them just to be background cannon fodder in the uh, the script. Yep. And then um, yeah. he, you know, insists on getting the um, Eastern European players involved, getting them recognized as as prisoners of war, which they make that point. They didn't have to make that point, right? But they bring in the issue that the the Eastern Front was so brutal and and those guys were so mistreated that, that that the Nazis didn't even want them recognized as as prisoners of war, right? Yeah. Um and uh uh oh and uh, Michael Caine also makes the point so the and this is a trope in a lot of these movies like The Great Escape where they say, you know, a British officer's sworn duty when he's captured is to continually try to escape. And Michael Caine makes the point, you know, I'm not interested in your uh, duty. Yeah. The war is over for these guys. Yeah. I am trying to take I'm trying to take care of my guys, you know, and um, I, I don't I don't I guess I just don't agree that he's making the wrong choice. I think he's just making different choices. I will say it did feel like he was way more obsessed with getting a soccer game played than anything else. Like, like he might've had those concerns, but it really felt like his first concern was getting a match played of some kind. Cause I do think it was originally like longest yard type thing where it was like, Oh, we'll just play a game here. Wouldn't that be fun? Raise morale. And then it was like, Oh, they want to pick a team with the nearby air base they're actually going to pick the national team. We're going to play it in Paris. It just like kept escalating and escalating, escalating, which I want to ask, why was it played in Paris other than like to have the resistance plotline? But like, if you're the Nazis, wouldn't you play that in Berlin? No, it's the ultimate, I, the ultimate flex is to stage this game in a city you've captured. I and guess, also yeah. you have to remember yeah. your historical context as well is that there was the, the Vichy French that were collaborators right. with the Nazis. Right. So and the prison, the prisoner of war camp was in France. Was it? I yeah. guess I didn't pick up when, on that. Okay. So when Sylvester Stallone escapes briefly, you know, they That's have him, right. they have him speak French and he falls in with some, with some, you know, French folks right. and, and French like resistance. French electrician but, but I mean, or something. Yeah. You would absolutely stage this, even if it wasn't, even if this prison camp was someplace else, yeah. it was Belgium, you would absolutely still stage it in France because that would have been, another symbol for the Germans at the time, the Nazis, that, oh, no, we're all friends. You want us here. You aren't a conquered city. We're now yeah. one nation, one rule under the Third Reich. Which I did enjoy the scene where they had to, the debate about whether or not they were the home team. This <laughs> 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 is nice and awkward, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, this was, like, this was a really fun, good movie, and uh, you almost wonder why the uh, the crowd rushing the field wasn't their first, their first plan, because that worked really well and worked kind of flawlessly, so... Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do we do we have anything else on this movie? It's a good movie. And it's it's one of those I said this before yeah. we started recording. They don't make movies like this anymore. They don't make movies that are paced like this anymore. Um it's a genre of movie that's all but dead, which is unfortunate yeah. because it's there's a lot of really really good movies that fall into this POW war movie type uh setup and it's a it's actually a pretty damn good example of the genre and I I actually give it a I would give it a recommendation to anyone that hasn't seen it. Yeah, even if you're not a soccer fan, I think yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. 
It's a good war movie. Um, if nothing else, if you do nothing else, look up the scene where Pele describes his tactics on the chalkboard. It's a good scene. It really felt yeah. like it really oh, felt yeah. like Alan Koch like, like with Hart's. Ledesma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I do have one Go. question before before we move on. <laughs> Could they make this movie again? Because I feel like the one trope in this movie that de- doesn't age well is the idea of any amount of humanization of the Nazis. Yeah. And in this movie, the Germans are there you always know you're dealing with nazis but these aren't the brutal barbaric this is not even the banality of evil type nazis like you see working for the isb in andor it it, i almost wonder if i was trying to think to as i was watching this if they did this movie again would they receive backlash for how the germans are depicted my the thought i had was yes i I don't think think they can make the movie again because i don't i don't think that they have I think that movies are too self-conscious uh, today, mm-hmm. and I think you. I think it would not be taken seriously. I think there would be too many quips, and there'd be like too many gags. Because look at the point. look, like compare the original Longest Yard to the um, Adam Sandler, yeah, Longest Yard. I think it would be that kind of thing. I don't know how you too sarcastic. I don't don't know how you can slander any movie that features both Bill Goldberg and Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you could do it, but you'd have to change up the setting. Like it'd have to be like a narco state or like some some drug lord has captured the local college team or something of that variety. And like they're staging a exhibition game. Uh, something like that and all the players are are professionals that we would recognize in some way shape or form i don't know i think that's how you try to get around that is you try to get something slightly grayer than nazis (laughs) you could have a you could have a movie that takes place in like andersonville prison in the civil war and that's a baseball game baseball yeah you could just chock full of <laughs> random ass baseball players yeah you get a whole bunch more of them out there uh could, do you set it in the uh, ukraine russia conflict now and it's like the the russia game against poland that never happened for the world cup or something i don't know Ugh, no no i don't think you can make this movie again no, i think this I'm is happy, a one-off but i'm happy it exists yeah yeah ah <sighs> well That'll do it for Film Room. If you haven't seen this movie, go check it out. Where you can watch it, I don't know. We all watched it illegally, so good <laughs> Good luck sailing the high seas. <laughs> Maybe you can rent it. I think you can rent it on, like, YouTube. For you can rent it on bucks. lots That's of stuff for, like, five bucks. bucks but Yeah, it's definitely worth a couple bucks. Um, yeah, that'll do Film Room. Uh, part three. We'll touch on some World Cup and then maybe some uh, some FCC Roundup. You think we can knock that out all in one go? Let's yeah. do it. Part three coming up. Part three, we're back at it. We are fresh off of the film room. And we are looking at the World Cup. A couple of storylines coming out of this one. I mean, first off, we should say Argentina. And France is your final. That'll be 
fun. It's the, uh, I guess, the predicted outcome given who the uh, the semifinalists were. So, um, yeah, I know both of you guys are pulling for France because that'll be the most annoying outcome. Yeah. Uh, for, for make this make everyone cup. unhappy. Is what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'll I'll be that loser that is rooting for Messi to cement his uh, his his place on top of the world. <laughs> Think of all the takes that you'll be robbing of people if Messi finally conclusively wins the World Cup and settles the debate. Don't want that. It really would settle the debate, right? Like, like I'm sure, yes, there will obviously still be the debate, but like, it's kind of like how like two Super Bowls ago, like Tom Brady had like a good argument for being the best quarterback of all time. And now it's like, nah, this is pretty well settled. There's, there's no more conversation to be had here. I love how the hipster <laughs> take is like, oh, trophies are team awards. So you can't take into account for, you know, an individual player's greatness. But then once their sure. favorite guy wins a team award, they're like, oh, this cements the debate. It's over. <laughs> he finally won his championship. Um, Maradona will always be my greatest. So oh, there you go. I, uh, Messi, you didn't go pay, back, Messi didn't pay his taxes. You, you uh, Maradona you was a committed leftist. So you also couldn't see the Zoom chat. But Grayson in that moment really looked like Stephen A. Smith when he talked about that settles the debate. <laughs> he did the head he did the head bob and everything it was glorious oh man i pele i mean the clips in the the few games that exist online it really does look like you dropped a modern footballer like you're i don't know like if christian pulisic was just suddenly playing in 1950 it's just like what the fuck it's like an alien is playing amongst all these these guys who are like yeah weirdly jogging it's and a video stuff. game like bo jackson one. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I do feel compelled to point out in this debate, too, as we just talked about in the last segment, I don't think Messi ever beat the Nazis in a clearly rigged game. <laughs> well, what if like what if Michael Given Vick was playing? Uh. What, if, what if Michael Vick played football, you know, instead of Otto Graham? <laughs> right. Like, seriously, you just replace Otto Graham with him. In whatever the 50s or 40s or whatever that was. (laughs) Right, right. It would just be disgusting. That is, there's a good clip, uh, floats around Twitter every once in a while. It's called uh, uh, Everything Your Favorite Footballer Did, Pele Did First. And it's like all of the classic signature moves and moments of like Ronaldinho and Cruyff and Messi's career. And it's Pele doing it in like 1957. Uh, And it's great. It's really good video. Um... I mean, this this point sucks. Uh, Grant Wall passed away, which was mm-hmm. just radically, I don't know, just just like earth shattering in a lot of ways here in the U.S. I mean, we we <laughs> will admit it weren't the nicest to Grant Wall on the podcast. But I mean, this was this was a wild moment in American soccer. I don't know, like the the ecosystem, like it's a it's a small community still in American soccer world. And uh, yeah, like his passing really rocks some things, really got some conspiracy theories going. So that was that was an exciting time on the Internet. Uh, I mean, I suppose it's still out there. I suppose you can still have those questions. But um yeah, that was insane. I don't I really thought it was like an elaborate prank, like some weird like I don't know, every so often, I know Twitter's weird these days, but back in the day Twitter would be like would fake kill off a celebrity every so often. You get like I don't know. 
R.I.P. Snoop Dogg and be like, what the fuck? And be like, ah, gotcha. Like uh, some online community managed to get something trending for a second. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we want to if we want to say anything else on this other than like. It's a huge bummer. It's funny, yeah. too, because we were talking about just in the last segment about people that cover soccer seriously in America. And mm-hmm. Grant Wall was almost too serious at times i think is what we yeah. usually would make fun of him for but he was one of those people that took the sport incredibly seriously in this country probably the first national media figure that really dedicated to the beat and covered it seriously at least in my adult lifetime yeah there was a moment on extra time on monday where they you know because of this they kind of let the mask slip for a moment and Matt Doyle brought up Grant Wall's like ambi- annual like MLS like ambition rankings and he was like I really hope somebody picks this up we can't do it because we don't really uh cover MLS that way right and um you know having somebody cover American soccer um credulously and seriously and who's not captured by the, um, you know, by by Major League Soccer or by the relationships <laughs> within U.S. Soccer, who's not yeah. just, who's not just, you know, spreading um, gossip to advance the narrative of some source, who's not just, you know, and I, who who's not just, you know, just peddling rumors, who is actually covering soccer in the United States the way that other sports are covered in the United States. I mean, that was like a fraternity of basically one, you know? And if you are an American soccer fan and you grew up an American soccer fan, you read a lot of Grant Wall. Yeah. And, you know, as Kevin, you said, like, you know, we we took our shots at him and, you know, like. A lot of people took their shots at him. He took he took his shots at people, but. He was he's really like a singular figure in in. um, In in American soccer media coverage, and then. I think. Also, something that happened was when you saw the thoughts about the conspiracy and and the videos that came out with his brother and then his wife putting the statement out, you know, it really kind of put the human to the forefront. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you can and and I would not say and you you can't, you know, take take your jabs at people. Right. But um when people go in on Twitter and they say like, Oh, he was vaccinated and they try to use his death to like advance their agenda. I just think it's so important to respect the person, you know, and not to, not to try to immediately jump and make this like about yourself or to make this like advance your agenda. And so, like I said, like he was, he was, you know, just an incredibly important figure in American soccer media um and people and you can't take you can't take that legacy away he'll be missed so can 
I know we're not really the most serious podcast in the world. Yeah. Yes. And I want to add the caveat to the start of this statement that oh, oh god <laughs> oh, it sucks so full on full stop it sucks that he died his wife seems like a lovely person his brother seems like a lovely person he was undoubtedly a titan in this industry um and it sucks that like the first thing everybody jumped to was well another vaccinated person bites the if if your first thought and your first instinct is to hop online and use this to advance your stupid vaccine conspiracy theory put a bullet in your head just go do it <laughs> save the rest of us some misery from having to deal with your bullshit just we're done having said that in a, in a video game or right metaphorically whatever. Yeah, Metaphor yeah, yeah, yeah whatever sure whatever we need to say in order to keep this podcast from getting delisted <laughs> gently um, swallow it <laughs> having said that at what point in society now in modern society where people are available online and we all interact with each other on the bird app. Is there a point where you have to go back and delete your tweets when someone dies tragically? I don't, I don't think so. Unless because, like the day before they died, you said, I hope you die. No, like, cause I'm, I just, <laughs> that'd well, be a good one to delete. Cause I, I thought to myself, I said a lot of shit to Grant wall. Like I, I had this gif of Skeletor like yelling that I would just respond to him a lot of the time. I just put up a yeah. random tweet. This is a random interaction I had with Grant Wall, a man who is who died tragically, and he's this was from April first, twenty twenty two. I just picked a random one just to see what this was like. Okay, Grant tweets covering U.S. men's national team Iran at the World Cup in nineteen ninety eight was one of the wildest experiences of my career, and my response was, "Who are you? Who were you rooting for?" <laughs> so i think that it would be disrespectful to delete to delete your 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 angry tweets at him because grant wall did not like shy away from you know getting yeah. into it online he could have blocked you a hundred yeah. times i'm shocked he didn't scrolling back i think this. i think it i think it would be disrespectful i think it's part yeah. i so i and I, I think it's part. I think it's part of his legacy. You know that I, I do think he got I into it with people. It's, it's fine. The, the you know, yeah. The perspective from the post and the postcast is like one. We're very much like. I don't know. I've always viewed this as like rebel media. Like we've constantly picked fights with members of the media, and like we exist. I picked a like, fight with Kevin like two days ago. <laughs> you did actually that was great um no like we we i don't know like intentionally or unintentionally we we, we exist to push back against whatever we'll all consider the mainstream and I, I think it's a credit to grant that we saw him as the mainstream not unlike we we've done the same thing with the athletic we have certainly gone to war with andrew weeby and the extra time crew over the concept of offside um and yeah i don't think we have to apologize for doing that and i do think it, it's a testament to like one his ability to get into that space and to like to become that authority in the united states and then in two for him to have done it long enough that we view him as the establishment i don't know it would be like us shitting on cst like it just doesn't feel right like they're like they're they're still an upstart thing and they're still a fan thing they're not the mainstream they're not the 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 default position but if like the new york times writer just decides to write about fc cincinnati and says something stupid 
I'd jump down their goddamn throat. Like, absolutely. So I don't know. That's how I've always viewed it. But Chief, do you have, do you have another good interaction queued up? <laughs> I mean, I sent him to horny jail. I bonked him several times for tweets. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> there's a lot of Skeletor I, um, in here. So he also I, he also authored what I consider to be it's kind of dark now in hindsight one of the strangest tweets I've ever read in my life and I'm just going to read it out loud here just um okay Maradona turning 60 right after Pele turns 80 have already written obituaries for both of them harder to do well than you might think and hope it takes many many years before they ever publish viva los mejores de todos los tiempos so like he just uh, unprompted writes that I have obituaries written for two people that are alive. And I always thought that was a really. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a <laughs> thing. A weird it's tweet. a thing people do like, but we don't talk about it. Like nobody talk talks about it. it yeah. Right. Like the New York I times has love, obituaries yes. for like the New York times, like already has obituaries going for like Trump and Biden and Hillary and bill and Jimmy Carter. And I want is Jimmy Carter list. still alive. Yes. Yeah. He's still alive. Okay. Yeah, 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 still fighting the power. Uh, I would love the list, or even just a number, right? Like the number of of pre written obituaries. That would be fun if they yeah. just if they just had a running tally of how many they have going, and then you got to just guess, like, or right, or is it a hundred? Is it five thousand? Like, I have no concept. Or, or can you of imagine? Can you imagine if you think that you're the shit, that you're a big time celebrity, and you learn that the New York Times doesn't have your obit pre written? Just how, in, oh, how insulted there you would be. be what's the there line? would be managers line? just like lob jockeying for space <laughs> in the New York Times of pre-written obituary section. Sean Sean Puffy Combs is his obituary already started at the New York Times. Like, who no? Do th- who do you think is what the strangest Roseanne person? What about Roseanne I mean, they gotta have her. Probably. Probably. Do you do it based on who you think's gonna die or who has such a noteworthy life that you gotta start getting the early draft now is, because 20 years from now you're gonna forget the other stuff. Is right, Louis so Anderson dead yet? Yeah, he's dead. Because yes. I could have sworn he had died like literally every year for a decade before he died. <laughs> so the two things I would want to know from the New York Times obituaries to be published column is number one, who is the, the most random person that you have the obit already done for? And number two, okay. what has been sitting in the drafts the longest where this person is still alive, even though we wrote his obit back in like the mid 80s? Because it's got to be Keith Richards, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I who's the youngest person <laughs> like are you are you writing like just the train wreck human being that's like this guy's flaming out there's no way oh, there's no way this rapper is making it all the way to 35 <laughs> Johnny Knoxville probably has had a long say, one I was for say, a long time I was Steve-O was on the tip of my tongue yeah. it feels like Steve-O is surely these guys will die soon I bet I bet Flea has one written yeah. Slash, who did die in the 80s for a hot second. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is super or is it like, morbid. Do they, do they write like obits for people they want to die? Like, does the New York Times have an obit already written for Tucker Carlson? Just because it would be nice. <laughs> I was going to go Vladimir Putin, but we can get personal. <laughs> this, this, re- this reminds me of like the of another great SNL sketch sketch where they have um, uh, Dana oh, Carvey. Rad- What's Dana Carvey and Tom, Tom, Brokaw? Tom Brokaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, all right, you're going on vacation. We're going to, we, we, we're trying to figure out if like, you know, just in case like Gerald Ford dies, we're going to, 
re- record like a bunch of ways that he- Gerald Ford died today. And like he was the way he died by a pack of wolves. It just keeps getting more ridiculous how he died. It's like, yeah. no, we have to have all the bases covered if you're going to be on vacation yeah. for a week. Oh, I forgot about that one. It's really good. Oh, uh, anyway, well, rest in peace, Grant. At least yeah, we can RIP. laugh about it, right? One of one. Oh, Jesus. Um, here's here's an awful transition. So uh, Grant Wall's death got uh, a lot of conspiracy theories going, and uh, you know what else got some conspiracy theories going is Gio Reyna's playing time with Greg Berhalter in Qatar. Um, this is this is what Grayson and I were beefing about on Twitter the other day. I tweeted hashtag Berhalter did nothing wrong. I'll, I'm happy to defend that, even though he clearly did a couple things wrong here. Um, but yeah, the uh, the story coming out is that Gio was uh, being a diva, I guess, is a way to, to at least allegedly was being a diva, wasn't putting in the effort. Burhalter or someone on his staff told him he, would, he was expecting to play a uh, reduced role in Qatar. And so he decided not to try in the friendly against the Qatari club team and kind of gave up during training to the point where, again, allegedly some of the players, including Tyler Adams, confronted him during training or after training. I'm going to push back to the Tyler Adams. Thing. Okay, no, please. no journalist. Okay, said Tyler Adams. It the was only a players, USMT only, right? <laughs> yeah, the only players who were named as approaching Giorena were mm-hmm. Aaron Long and DeAndre Yedlin. And so MLSers. I think, yeah. I think, as far as we understand this story, as far as we talk about this story, um, I mean, we could we could stick to we could we talk about speculation as we want, but I just right. I think we should distinguish between what has been like reported reported yeah through sources and what has been speculated about on social media very fair very fair so he was allegedly confronted by some players mlsers long and yedlin and um was somehow convinced to start giving a shit uh there's also and grayson help me clear this up there was a vote taken allegedly a vote taken i've heard of the players i've also heard of the coaching staff that players did not vote to send him home and it was a narrow decision to keep him in the camp so some guy from espn who i don't think i'd ever heard of before this jason mcintyre I've heard of Doug McIntyre. I don't know if they're related. Okay, yeah. No, he threw me off there for a second. I was like, I know McIntyre. Okay. There's, yeah, so there's yeah, a guy yeah. named Jason McIntyre who said that there was a player vote on whether to send Gio home. And it was he said it was 13 to 12 for Gio staying, which Jesus. sounds impossible, to be honest. <laughs> like it 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 just leaves off like so many alarm it just sets off so many alarm bells to me that there would be a player vote that ends up like 13 12 like this is like a this is like a a runoff i mean he won by he won by way more votes but arizona hasn't finished counting until after the world cup ended (laughs) we're still waiting to hear back from maricopa county um taylor twelman who you know, I would say is more credible, although like I don't necessarily always think that that Twelman's correct on on his reporting either. But Tw- Taylor Twelman said that no, it was not a player vote; it was a staff vote. Right. But okay, he said, okay. but he did not say what the what the count what the was. was yeah. And I think 
I think Greg in the so we should talk about what what we should talk so, about yeah, how, Greg, how this, what came, Greg, out, how this yeah. came out originally is <laughs> this is, is the part I will say Greg did wrong. I'm I'm with him up until this point. <laughs> so so the reason this all comes out and I know the reason this all comes out is that Greg Burhalter takes a and I want to stress this because I think this is important, <laughs> takes a paid speaking of appearance at some like CEO conference that has like the CEO of like Levi jeans and Abigail Disney and a bunch of other randos, sure. yeah. rando rich people. And he has to tell a story about his, you know, a leadership moment. And he says, what well, the last world cup, we had a player who um, was disgruntled and, and wasn't trying. It had gotten so bad that we thought about sending him home. And I talked to my staff and we um, decided not to, as long as he apologized and included specifics to the team. And then that's what happened. And then we moved on. Um, obviously, yeah, and can you, and this came can you out explain... like in the newsletter. So, right, so, right. And this comes out in a newsletter from this conference. And the newsletter right. is written by this guy who has this company now that like does like you know news aimed at like ceos it's like one of those little companies but he used to be a wall street journal reporter so he's a real journalist okay where yeah so he's aware of like all the rules and things right so after this comes out u.s soccer says that that these were comments that greg berhalter made off the record okay right well first of all you're talking to like a whole room full of like rich people who don't give a shit about you. That's right. not There's off not the record. There's also no and, off yeah. the record when you're not talking to reporters. It's, yeah, right. you're making public comments um, quite literally. It's not like a legal thing. Yeah. And also <laughs> uh, scuffed contacted this journalist who, again, yeah. like worked for the Wall Street Journal. He's a real. He's a real reporter, like he knows the rules. And he right. says that like this information was not provided to me off the record. Like he was right. unequivocal. He was unequivocal that the information was not provided to him off the record. So I, I find it very not credible to say like, oh, I thought this wasn't going to come out. So um, the thing, the thing I was reading, and feel free to to clear this up or correct me, was that this is presented under I think it's called like the Chapman or, or Chatham House rules or something, where you're allowed to speak in. Like you're allowed to give detailed explanation of what happened, but anybody taking information out of that room is supposed to take the details vague. So he might have told the story as specifically Geo did this and my staff members led by Anthony Hudson decided to have a vote. But like anybody who's reporting out is supposed to say a high profile player, some of the staff, like there's this understanding that they keep things vague, which I do think they did. And I'm wondering if Greg just like misunderstood the concept that like, the details wouldn't necessarily get out of that room, but it was expected that the the major bullet points of his story would be clear to everybody and presented in newsletter form. Because once you read it with the vagueness, it's still super obvious who he's right. talking about. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> I. I don't think. Greg. Um, 
I don't think Greg was under any illusions okay, of what was yeah. going to happen with this information. I just don't. I don't yeah. think I don't think he's that. Dumb. So then which. Yeah, yeah. So then immediately. So then immediately Tom Bogert does the funniest thing in this whole thing. He just quote tweets the quotes from the newsletter with the words Gio Reyna. <laughs> which is which is really incredible like no like no extrapolation no like per sources even just right. Gio Reyna um and th- which which was which was very funny and then the athletic immediately comes out with their story which apparently was going to come out Monday but they were forced to uh hurry it up on Sunday so it was so rushed that um Paul Tenorio reported that uh Bucharest was in uh, Hungary. So apparently he didn't have a chance to like edit his or you know, proofread his story. Right. On they that. also didn't get quotes from US Soccer or Geo or Geo or, or Geo's agent. Yeah, before they published. They like yeah. maybe they shot the email out an hour before, but that that went move that moved pretty quick on them. Yeah. So, um I don't know what do we what do we think about this? I'm gonna tell you what I think. Um, I, I think can that I think, can I tell you what yeah, I, I think, think first because I yeah go ahead. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I really don't. The World Cup's over. <laughs> Burhalter shouldn't be the manager going forward. I don't fucking care. And yeah, like fair, it's th- this kind of drama happens in locker rooms all the time. Players don't yeah. get along, and it's one of those things where we needed a a narrative exiting the World Cup. And this is the first genuine good intel and insight into how the players behave behind the scenes. So it's going to be run with, but I don't give a fuck. I really don't care. <laughs> I, I think it's useful in that it explains why Geo did have a reduced role. And I fully back Burhalter for not playing a, like a literal child throwing a temper tantrum about his playing time instead of somebody who like i don't know decided to take it to heart and try really hard in training and like try to win that spot back or be there when inevitably somebody got hurt and um we saw that with sergeant and maybe things could have gone differently if if he had played his cards differently but I I really don't see how somebody can take this story and see that like Burhalter's the bad guy and he did Geo dirty in this like fair like maybe not taking the dirty laundry out into the public but also yeah I I don't expect Burhalter to be back here and on some level he needs to protect his legacy and his decision making and I think that is the biggest question mark about him coming out of this world cup is why didn't you use this this young starlet more and now the world knows that he was he had a super shitty attitude and he uh yeah that either the players or the staff were split pretty evenly about whether or not he should even be with the team at that point i don't know except um the thing that the thing that you're missing is that he had apparently decided before the world cup and before Gio threw a temper tantrum, that Gio was already going to have a minimal role yeah. at the World Cup, right? Which sounds insane to me, that you would already decide going into the yeah. World Cup that, honestly, probably that your player on your team with the highest ceiling and the most yeah. dangerous player on your team is, I, you, have no, yeah. you have no use for them. 
And then when when he's at the World Cup, he straight up lies about why he makes decisions, right? First, he says, Gio's hurt. Then he says, um, no, um, actually, uh, you know, Jordan gave us what I thought we needed in the moment. And then he acts all holier than thou in the press conference after Eric Winalda says that Eric Winalda called him a liar about <laughs> Gio, about the decision to sub in Jordan Morris over Gio Reyna. And then, and then Burhalter's asked about it in the press conference, and he says, like, you guys know me. Would I, would I lie about something? And he was like, he, like, he, he was, he was like, Oh, he like put like his reputation on the line in that press conference. And it turned out that like Winalda was basically right about the whole thing. So the, and the, so the, the question that, that you have to ask yourself in this moment is who were the 13 players that voted to keep him? Who were the 12 players that voted against him being there? Because to a certain extent, if it's the if the twelve saying fuck this guy are Christian Pulisic, um, Weston McKinney, um, yeah. you know, uh, if, if they're the stars that are saying this guy has a horse shit attitude, get him out of there. It does put Burhalter into kind of an untenable position of all my best players don't want to play with this guy. I mean, there's right. no way it was those guys. We don't know that. First of all, we don't, we don't, we don't think. I don't think that there was a player vote, right? I'm going to okay. believe that though, because that's the version of the story that makes this the juiciest. And in the absence um, of any evidence, one way or the other, that's <laughs> but the most fun part. I think. I think if it's a vote in like, in like Tyler Adams and Pulisic and McKenney are saying are telling him to go home, I don't think that you get uh, more than half the because like those are like his friends on the team. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, I'm not sure. I, so, again, the only players who are reported to have confronted him on this are Aaron Long and DeAndre. These, these are guys who are predisposed to backing the manager because they owe their place at the World Cup right. to, this, to this manager. And there right. had been, to less fanfare, an article in The Athletic um, a few days before the Gio Reyna article that talked about how Greg, you know, like it was, it was, uh, it was positioned as like w- whether Greg should come back for, for another cycle or not. And it was kind of suggesting that he doesn't have the best relationship with the, the star players on the team who play at big clubs. And that um, people don't really understand why he selects certain players and that his stated reasons are, you know, inconsistent and not credible. And um, I don't know. I mean, I buy that. So I feel like with somebody like Aaron Long, and I've, I've heard players talk about this, that you feel loyalty to the coach that you feel brings you into the national team. Right. Um, I was doing, I don't the, care. The I guess I don't math. care if Aaron long, like thinks Gio Reyna dogged it in practice. 
I, I was doing the quick math on this, and I can get to uh, 10, maybe 11 players who are, I'll say, MLS-centric, uh, if not playing in MLS. That if the vote came down to MLSers versus Euro-based players, that you, you could probably get pretty close to those numbers, um, which is just... I don't know. I think it's interesting. You get you get 12 to 13 if you throw Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams in with the MLS camp. Those those are the two you need. The, the other thing is I don't I think it's overrated like the idea that like you call talented players um lazy because they like take one practice off or something because yeah. Like Gio Reyna doesn't get to where he is in professional soccer. If he's lazy. lazy. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I would ask you, like, what is lazier? <laughs> Taking off one scrimmage against a cut against a Qatari club team because you're having like a really shitty day. Or. Essentially taking off your entire career because you have a girlfriend and a dog in Seattle. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> So I, I will say this on, on, on the matter, like, yes, I, I do think he tried to get Gio in there, but he hadn't played more than 45 minutes for the U.S. men's national team since like 2001. And he would have started on the 2001. Wing. I don't think he was alive or, in 2001. Sorry, sorry. 2021. <laughs> sorry. I forgot what year I was in for a second there. Um, so it's been a long time. So I think it's really hard to like game plan and build the roster around his skill set because he's just unreliable and not there. And the guy he would have been coming off for or coming on for would have been uh, Timothy Weah. And while Gio probably has a higher ceiling, I don't know if in the moment he is so much better than Weah that like you put up with his bullshit if he is being difficult about whatever. I mean, McKenney like, got back in the team. McKenney has had like many... um uh, various violations yeah. of, of, of some kinds and he's in the team. And what I found like extremely distasteful was like people like Matt Doyle bringing up Gio Reyna breaking curfew when he was 15. <laughs> right. If you're bringing right. up somebody breaking curfew when they're 15 in the youth national team, you're carrying water for somebody. Right. Right. Which is clearly, like, I'm not saying Gio Reyna is in the right here. Like you shouldn't like, like you're there. You should be putting it all at the world cup, but yeah, but I do think, I do think Burhalter is showing his ass here. And I think that any, and I frankly, I would add the, any, whoever spoke to the athletic about this. Yeah. Um, I think this is a thing that belongs um, in camp or put your name on it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Go on the record. If you think it's so important that the, that the paper hears, you know, you shit talk your teammate or the person who plays on the team with you. Yeah. I'm just glad that like we have soccer drama though, because it feels like we're a real football nation. So that's good. <laughs> um and keep going, do a little FCC roundup now that we've we've gotten the World Cup out of the way. Are we feeling are we feeling squirrely for a little FCC stuff? Um big news out of 
Mexico, kind of, or big rumors out of Mexico. Uh, Chivas back in for Brandon Vasquez, this time allegedly an offer in the neighborhood of $7 million. Uh, some interesting, interesting smoke around this one. One, that's a lot of money for an MLS striker. That would, I think, instantly put it in one of the top 10 largest outgoing transfers, at least for a striker uh, in in MLS history. It would certainly be a feather in the cap for the uh, the FCC club uh, history of finally getting that big export, although it is not to Europe, but to Mexico. Um it's a bunch of money for a TAM level player. I think it makes a lot of sense on some level, uh, but we we kind of got word that like maybe ownership wasn't as on board as maybe Albright and and the sporting team was maybe into this deal, or at least it's not super obvious where that decision was necessarily being made, or maybe. It was an, an option presented to ownership. I'm not entirely sure what the uh, the condition is around that. But um, Chief, we we entertaining real offers for for Vasquez. What's what's the breaking point? What's your take here? So the there it's two folded on this, and I I reject the implication that there is a that this is a soccer decision only, and that there's not a business yeah. decision or a front office aspect to this decision. This team, at the end of the day, has to sell tickets, and they are slowly crawling their way back into relevancy in the Cincinnati sports market after several years in the weeds. And for better or worse, they're competing for attention with a very good Bengals team right now. And the public enemy, number one, is the Reds. And the Reds are the public enemy right now because they're cheap. They won't sign players. They trade all their best players away. And it is a tough sell to the city of Cincinnati from a business and a marketing standpoint to say, well, you don't understand in a league like MLS, he would be a top 10 all-time transfer for $7 million. And I know you think that's not a lot of money, but in MLS terms, that's a ton of money. And don't worry, I know he's your favorite player and he's the best player but we're going to use that money and reinvest that in the club. And that just doesn't play with right. the ticket buying public. And yeah, ownership's going to weigh in on that decision. And if I'm the owner of FC Cincinnati and I am in charge of making this a profitable business, I'm going to have a lot of hard fucking questions about you want to sell our best player, our fan favorite player who replaces him. Right. And if the answer isn't another very marketable, talented star, then I'm going to probably say no. And the problem yep. here is that Vasquez is on a TAM deal, which means you can't go out and break the bank to sign a great player to replace him. You're going to have to sign another TAM player to replace him who will not be that person that you can win the press conference on. You might find someone who could eventually win you games. But when it comes to trading away your most well-known star player on your team, and certainly the biggest asset on your team that that speaks English, which is a non-insubstantial thing in this this space as well, um, or speaks English as a first language, I should say. Um, Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, it's, it's tough. And to me, I don't know that they're 
at the state FC Cincinnati is in right now, I don't know if there's any price, realistic price that it makes sense to sell Vasquez for right now. Yeah, I I go along with that. And I do think it is, I mean, something that like, I don't know, we, we always... I don't know. I get I get nervous when I hear like ownership intervention with FCC, given all the various and rumors spe- and things. We're just speculating that there's ownership intervention yeah. at this point. There's no hard evidence to that at all. Yeah, there was a Mexican source that was tweeting about this, and Tom Bogert basically just translated it all to English in an article. But he seemed to suggest that ownership wasn't on board. Um, but like, you can imagine a hypothetical where like. The Minnesota Vikings offer the Bengals like, I don't know, seven years of first and second round draft picks for Joe Burrow. No. And it's like on a sporting level, you're like, hmm, could do a lot with that. But like, I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of like a hypothetical where you but, would you would take Burrow. But your, your hypothetical um, is perfect in this instance, because what you would be using those first and second round picks for is trying to find Joe Burrow again. Right, And the problem (laughs) with this is that if this was a deal where you could buy another DP spot with the money you were getting, fine. But you're not going to replace Brandon Vasquez on a TAM contract with anyone. You're just not going to do it. The only reason he's not a DP is that he can't be under MLS salary rules given the conditions he was signed in. Yeah, and Grayson, I'll, I'll let you jump in here in a second, but just to point out the mechanics of this, any outgoing transfer fee, uh, the club gets like 95% of it, but can only convert up to a million dollars of it to usable salary dollars in, in terms of GAM. So $6 million of that would just go to ownership's pocket. I think somewhere there's a bylaw that some percentage of that has to be reinvested in the team in some way, shape, or form that it's like has to be like a uh I don't know a training facility of some kind or something like that but yeah that you can't even spend that 7 million dollars all on the team you only get a million bucks of that I don't know Grayson what's your take Well I think you could spend the excess on like a U22 like an uncapped type player Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like a U22 or a, a DP we have DP slots and Yeah know. anything that would come out of ownership's pocket in that case but in I mean, terms of like yeah, you couldn't trade for Carlos Vela with that $7 million. You can only have that million dollars to play with. I I generally agree with everything Chief said. Um, from a sporting standpoint, $7 million is not enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that you get what I would consider. I mean, I'm not a decision maker, but I don't think you get what I would consider enough for Vasquez this window. Because I believe in his talent and ability. I think he's going to put up another another big year um, this year. And I think his value is going to grow after that or maybe in the summer. Um, yeah. But um, an, a, a consideration that I think is important, and um, I, don't, I don't want to speculate on what's going on here, but you know, Vasquez has stated that his goal is to play in Europe. He wants to play in the biggest leagues. Um, if an offer in like the seven to $10 million range comes in for Brandon Vasquez from Leeds United, right. Or, you know, some, a Bundesliga team, then I think it's a harder choice. 
Yeah. Because I think I think a sale to Chivas doesn't really get Brandon that much closer to Europe. I mean, it might even it get him further. Might away. even get him yeah. further away. Like I think he's got a better shot of going from MLS to Europe, at least in the short term, than he does going from Liga Mekis to 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 Europe. So I think you have to take into account um, promises you've made to a player, as well as the perception that you need that if you come to FC Cincinnati, we will help you get to where you where you want to go for your next step. Because this still yeah. is a stepping stone league. So yeah. um I wanna I wanna keep Brandon because we're he helps helps us stay in our uh he helps us you know stay in our, our best possible position. He gives us the best chance to win. But players like Brandon and Brenner uh, potentially others who come through, um, we can't we can't just shut down the door to Europe because we have them on on favorable contract terms, and um, they'll be hard to replace because we have to yeah. think about like recruiting the next guy. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It's the, also if the league wants that, then make the money more fucking useful. Like right. don't punish a team for having a guy get successful and be shipped out and then say, Oh, well, because of our salary cap rules, all that money just goes into the owner's fucking pocket. I don't care if the training facility has nice fucking toilets. I don't care, but it's what not the league. Is, it is, it the is league. literally like, but, but what, I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is it's not from the league standpoint. It is from, um, if you want to recruit players, word gets around if you're blocking guys' moves to Europe. Right. Yeah, FC Dallas has, has been known to do that. Um, they they have a half-decent pipeline now, but yeah, they've they've certainly blocked guys' moves uh, before. But no, Chief, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, MLS needs to find some way to better incentivize these teams to reinvest in the salary. Oh, absolutely. Like, say say you sell Vasquez for 7 million, replace him with only that money. Okay. Say you can't spread that $7 million around the, the roster, but let you replace his roster spot with the money that you make off of him. And if that functionally gives you a fourth DP spot, so be it. Anybody else is able to get it. If they can sell a guy for that much money. Um, it's also worth pointing out that the order of operations here is that a guy under contract isn't, I mean, this is all bullshit, right? Everybody's doing this anyway. But in theory, uh, teams aren't allowed to make contact directly to players unless they're in the last six months of their contract. Uh, otherwise, that is classic tampering, and they can take that all the way up to FIFA and, and whatever arbitration board. But um, you're supposed to negotiate with the team first, and then once deal is reached with the team, then you reach out to personal terms with the player. And it's not clear to me that Vasquez would even want this deal. Chivas has eased up on this recently, but has historically only ever signed Mexican players, as in players who would only represent Mexico on the national level. And it was it would be an interesting indication as to maybe where Vasquez is leaning on the national team side of things if he went to Chivas. 
I say that they they do now have a uh, I think it's a Peruvian striker that leads uh, their front line. He is Mexican born, but he had a, a Peruvian grandmother somewhere and switches allegiance. So they have eased up on that a little bit. But I thought that was an interesting angle, specifically only because of Chivas. If he was being targeted by uh, I don't know Cruz Azul or Leon or something like that, it would be different. But Chivas specifically wants Mexican national teamers on their team. So I, I don't discount Grayson's point about making sure that you can foster ambition for players but in this moment mm-hmm. right now this is not the like i would hope that they would talk to brandon and say this is not the time we as a club yeah. can afford to sell you right now have like the luke skywalker talk you can go to the academy next year i just hope that they've had that talk about i mean i assume they did frankly but i would think that they would have had the talk about like we understand your ambitions this is where we are. These are the circumstances where we would feel comfortable, you know, helping you move on. I feel right. like they had that conversation before they signed it. To, they signed him to right. an extension. Yeah. If, he was if I was branded, desperate... if I was branded, I yeah. wouldn't sign an extension unless no. I had some, you know, at least soft commitment. Or you set some sort of, I don't know if MLS even does this, some sort of like buyout clause where the club has to accept any transfer value or any transfer amount over like $4 million or something. Like make it super attainable so that if anybody comes calling, the the team has to let him negotiate. Um, I don't know. Uh, Liga, or no, uh, La Liga, uh, Spanish law, uh, requires that for every Spanish contract, which is interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing that in MLS. Um, What if it was for 40%, though? What if, or for 60%, what if uh, FCC got to keep 40% of the sell-on fee? Does that change the equation for you? No. It doesn't because the moment that they're in right now. They they have to turn the corner, and they have to make next year a winning year. And it's still a terrible value proposition. Selling a TAM player is a terrible value proposition because you yeah. cannot buy back equivalent talent on a TAM deal. It's just not, it's, or not, you cannot. It's extraordinarily difficult to find someone that replicates the money or the performance. And then that means that the money's just going back into ownership's pocket because there's no other place to spend it. They're full on yeah. for DP deals. They're stuck with a terrible U22 uh, player and there's just nothing to be done with it. What if it got you Rose Lavelle? Hmm? Think about that. <laughs> I don't think she'd start for FC Cincinnati. <laughs> no. At 2019, she would have left the line just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Grayson? Do we want to touch on Ecuador? Is this, is this something we want to, um, to dive into I think, I think Ecuador is still too up in the air. Okay. I think the okay. I think the reporting is still too sketchy to touch. Um, I think that there are three there were three player rumors in the last like week or so um, that right. I think are that I think are all fake. Okay, um, <laughs> I love a good fake player rumor. Uh, one was, was Clayton in the list. <laughs> so one was one was uh, Gladson Awako from okay. Hearts of Oak. He's like I a. Mean, He's an early 30s uh, attacking midfielder who played in USL in like 2018 and got one goal and like a couple of assists uh, for for Phoenix Rising. Um, (laughs) 
maybe that's a I don't know, maybe that's a two player just to foster the relationship with Hearts of Oak. But like that's not a person you can contribute to the MLS team. I'm sorry. Even in like a cheap backup ten, I'd rather take whoever there's like a there's dozens of attacking midfielders in who produced in USL last year who I would take over over that. I mean, you have Ordonez, who is in theory a backup player at this yeah, point so yes. i would, would like yes i would take kimi over yes. over that guy i think kubo <laughs> as a backup 10 over yes. this guy um and then there was I, i'm not gonna have i don't have the names all off the top of my head but there was a norwegian guy who um is a a right back who signed for uh bodo glimpse and um there was some re- this one. there was some reporting you told that me that was a Star Wars planet. I believe you. <laughs> uh, there was some reporting that he turned down a deal with FC Cincinnati that would have made him one of the uncapped players. <laughs> uh, one of the play that was like for like one point five or one point seven million dollars. I'm like, no. First of all, we don't have any DPS available. Second of all, Chris Albright's not. Uh, going to offer a DP deal to this guy <laughs> who is, again, he was another guy like in his 30s who okay, had, yeah. who like, you know, maybe based on his background, like could play right back in MLS, sure. was not remotely approaching a DP deal. I'll say maybe U22 is maybe their way of interpreting the uncapped. No. But yeah, if he's 30, that's not going to work. Um, and then there was a, this one, I don't know, this one didn't seem like entirely fake although i don't think for the senior team there's a guy who was a um left back in the turkish second division that a tweet came out that said that us and charlotte were interested um and people are speculating him as a u22 um i don't know he seemed like if if we were interested he seemed like more of an fcc2 guy at best, but also second division of the Turkish. Why are you yeah. even looking? I don't know. Why are you even looking there? Because <laughs> the, the rumor was like a one point five million dollar transfer fee. Jesus. I'm like, would you pay one point five million dollars? Like, I would take one point five million dollars for Kimi. Yeah, and he's got like, way more to show for him than this guy. But the other thing was the other thing yeah. that the, the big red flag that you always got to look out for is the rumor tweet said that us and Charlotte were both in for him. Right. And whenever there's a tweet that says like two MLS teams are in for a guy, right. it's um it it's it's immediately suspect impossible. because it's yeah. impossible. The rules <laughs> of the league prevent that. Tell me you don't understand MLS. It's the league is rigged, man. I don't know how to tell you that you need to you need to do better when it comes to sourcing the second part of this deal. Yeah, you need to you need to throw a, a USL team or a, a League MX team. You got to throw them off the scent a little bit. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, any news on Matt Hedges? I know that was the big. We, free we made an rumor. offer. Uh, okay, we, I think uh, I think Bogert said that we made an offer. I'll I'll and take an offer. They said that uh, he also said that Hedges is looking for a. Uh, Three-year guarantee. I put him 34 when he's done? 35? 34, 35, yeah. 
Jeff Cameron did all right. No, no. I uh, frankly, <laughs> I I trust I trust Albright on it. You I mean, also, you could also eat the back end of that contract too if you need to. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Hedges, by all accounts, had a really good year last year. I don't watch MLS, so I I can't <laughs> I can't vouch for that. But um, you know, he played in the back four, so that immediately makes him a big upgrade over anybody that we have, except for Miazga. Except for Haglin, do you mean? Jeez. <laughs> um, it is interesting. Hedges has been a very good MLSer uh, his whole career. Uh, at one point, FC Dallas had Walker Zimmerman and Matt Hedges as their starting two center backs like four years ago, five years ago. And uh, if they had managed to keep those two, would have had, I don't know, one of the best defenses in MLS history, uh, just with that as your core. And um, yeah, they... I think they traded Walker Zimmerman to LAFC when they started, and uh, now Hedges is walking away as a free agent. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, you um, win some, you lose some. Yeah, so be it. Uh, is there anything else? I think we're. I, I think this is the longest we've ever recorded. So are we done? Do we torture Chief a little bit more? I have seen your message. Yeah, <laughs> Chief, Chief's got to. Chief's got to make a uh, quick stop over here in a second. So. Well then, let's kill this and get out of here. here. <laughs> <laughs> let's kill this and get out of here. All right. All right. Fuck Columbus. <laughs> Where's the men's room?